some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Put the children to bed. It's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls. I love the Chicago Bears more than I do masturbating, and that is a lot. Then, with three seconds left, Bob Avellini throws a 30-something yard touchdown pass to Greg Latta, and the Bears win, and I literally shit my pants. I swear to God, I literally did. <laughs> Eric Kramer, for me, I love the guy. He's a tragic figure. I mean, he embodies all that is... If they don't run the ball here, I'm going to vomit. I swear to God. Look, I don't mean any disrespect. He just didn't play that well. Not for a guy of his caliber. You know, they won, but I'm, I'm going to be miserable all week because they stunk. I don't really have any recollection of that at all, but I guess perhaps I blacked it all out. So, Dan, tape is the ultimate tool for scouts and for coaches to evaluate players, to detect plays and so forth, and they spend hours looking at tape, right? Why do they so often get shit wrong? Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and Aldo. You know, I think <laughs> that was pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. I enjoy being able to completely let it fly. Let's no FCC restraints. Fucking let it fly. No FCC. It is just bar flies. The Tooch, Dan, and Aldo. The Tooch will and be joining us. Lions fans probably here too, right? Don Burr will be here soon. So let's think of some good insults. <laughs> Um, by the way, I had an idea that I had. I, I get a lot of ideas. One of them is I'm gonna. I want to invite Don Burr, a Packers fan and a Vikings fan, and ask them would they allow us to just for 30 minutes us hurl insults at them <laughs> and just take like a man. Any <laughs> Vikings fans? Uh, Vikings fans. It's got to be NFC Central guys, right? So uh, NFC North. What do we call it now? It's North of Central. Yeah, it used to be the Central, but yeah. <laughs> Well, the only Vikings fan I can think of that's as dedicated as we are is that horrible biased announcer that they have. Oh, my gosh. Who is that guy again? What, what's his name? Yeah, he, He's always so fucking partial, even though his job is not to be. <laughs> yeah, I forgot who his name, but in any case. He does, like, you know, interviews on various ESPN stations occasionally whenever the Bears are about to play the Vikings. Mm-hmm. You know, another idea that I had is, you know, when our announcer says uh, it's time for Dan and Aldo to bear their souls, I thought maybe it would be better if we ask her to retract it and say it's time for Dan and Aldo to blow their loads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll enjoy reading that. 
hey, I paid her, so I'll pay her again, and she'll do I whatever I ask. Earlier, when I saw Ogan Joby sign with uh, Pittsburgh, well, how did that make you feel? Like we couldn't have found a way to give this guy one. I I, I know he failed, you know, so supposedly failed his physical. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was good enough to play, well enough to play with Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and they're a winning organization. We couldn't have squeezed together one one year deal like they did. I, I I think that uh, Ogan Joby's agent is like I don't want to deal with these fuckers. That's what I'm I, I, I'm guessing went on. If there. he goes to Pittsburgh and like tears it up, it's just another thing on you know, you know, just another little jab at them. So mm-hmm. far, at year one, I'm worried, but I don't want to say that like his. Hopefully, he'll still be a stud this year, but. From everything I've read and heard, it's not that I was there. You know, Kyler Gordon has kind of been, is he hurt? Is he, you know, is he Kevin White? I mean, hopefully he's not Kevin White for fuck's sake, but <laughs> hasn't been participating. Like, anytime you hear that now as a Bears fan, we have to worry because they have this documented, even not from this regime, but you have this well-documented just plethora of lies where they'll tell you, oh, it's just a, you know, this guy's guy got an ingrown toenail on. And then, uh, well, he's going to miss three seasons. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. You know, so, are you worried about this at all? I'm not worried. You know why? Um, as I was doing research for our segment today about uh, Bears players who can take us from mediocrity to the fucking playoffs, I think the defensive line is going to look good. I don't believe Olin Krutz when he tweeted out that by the middle of the season, the offensive line will be playing better than the defensive line and people will be worried about the defensive line. You better quantify that. You don't want Olin Krutz to be pissed at you. (laughs) Well, that is true. I mean, I I have – my wife and I have – called security <laughs> we have a restraining order exactly we called the same uh security firm that adam hoga has called by the way what about that controversy on social media i'm not sure if you followed it where i guess on the hogan johns podcast they talked about um byron uh, pringle uh not getting into detail about his arrest incident and uh, fans of the Hogan Johns uh, f- uh, show saying, you're a hypocrite. Why don't you answer questions about the incident that happened with you and Olin Krutz? That's Ooh, news. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Please elaborate. That's that's juicy. Yeah. Well, again, I haven't, I haven't been following that show for a few months uh, since the season. And um, I guess on their latest show, they or one, two weeks ago, when Pringle met with the media, he was asked a number of questions about that, three or four. And Pringle uh, at, answered them professionally. He had a smile on his face. He said, you know, it, it, it was what it is, you know, and now I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, I'm just here to work hard. And he was very professional about it. But the re, but reporters continued to ask. And I don't know who it was after the press conference is over. One more question. I think it was either Hogue or Potash asked the question again. And I thought I thought the, the questions at the top were fine. These guys are sports journalists. It's their job to ask, answer those questions. But after he's already answered them three or four times, to ask one more time at the end of the press conference, I thought that was unprofessional. And maybe it was Hogue because uh, uh, then the fans got after him. He posted a tweet 
with a link to the show. And I guess on the show, he and John's talked about it and they may have said something in the podcast that ignited fans and they were all over Adam Hogue. And at first I thought this is not fair to pick on Adam. But then as, as I kept reading some of the uh, criticisms, it did seem like may, perhaps they had reason to be angry with Adam. So I'll, I'll look in the chat to see if anybody has more uh, uh, context on that. But that's that's pretty much what I know. Yeah, I wish that that I picked up on that already. I mean, not that I I should be like a schoolgirl so excited at their drama because you know from all I can gather, Hogue's a nice guy. And again, I used to be a big fan of John's until he a couple of years ago and he told me on Twitter to make the 85 bear season for him because he was too young to remember it. And I make all of them out. And then he wouldn't act like I was just some fan trying to stalk him when I was trying to mail him this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I did take that personally. And like, he just ghosted me at that point. So I was like, man, kind of killed my fandom for their show, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so I did listen to it early on a lot, mm -hmm. but like I said, not to sound like a dick or like I've been detective, but that did bother me. With regards to this, I mean, he did see. I I haven't seen where he had, or or anyone else tweeted where he had talked about the Olin Cruz thing. So I would be interested to see what they said about it, if anything. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to go around calling him a hypocrite. Or, uh, but yeah, I I, I guess I, I have to admit I'm interested in the controversy. Yeah, I I am too. I'll probably uh, during my vacation. I got a vacation coming up. I'll probably listen to some podcasts and I'll definitely put that one on the list to see what that's all about. You know, I don't have, again, yeah, there's people in the chat room who are saying, you know, Hogue is an entitled prick and that's why. And Chubbs is saying, Chubbs is saying they weren't asking questions. They were preaching in their questions at him. Like they were better than him. I didn't get that impression. Now, again, you know, I worked for seven years as a reporter here in Chicago, and so I have a little bit of empathy uh, of what they go through and what their job is. Uh, but I didn't get that impression. Now, I'll listen to it again, Chubbs, and everyone else, and and and, and see uh, what that, uh, if I think differently upon the, the second hearing. But, you know, the thing, if you don't mind me interjecting. No, not at all. About Hogan Johns that I, I guess especially Johns, that... And there's been a couple of other people too. And first up, before I, I'm going to interrupt my own thought and say, wish condolences to John Moon Mullen and his family and his friends and, well and everyone that knew him. Like last week we were talking about he looked bad and then that mm -hmm. proved to be true because he passed away, mm -hmm. which is terrible. He had been a beat writer for the bears from 92 until I guess 20 mm -hmm. is when he got sick, something like that. So, right. and, that, and we've lost Vaughn McClure and, and uh, Moon Mullen and Jeff Dickerson mm -hmm. all in the last couple of years. Yeah. And Vaughn was in his forties for fuck's sake. I think JD was too. Right. Yes. So, but anyway, a lot of these reports, especially John's, are always complaining about their responsibilities yeah. or their access on their shows, which is just asinine to a super fan like myself mm -hmm. or to anyone else listening because we're all super fans, right? Yeah. And when they're like, ah, oh, I'm scheduling my vacation because uh, I don't want to be there at the OTAs or whatever. That's just an example, not, not specific. It feels like, <laughs> are you a fan or not? Like, well, you have this access that anyone else would kill for and you just hate your job mm -hmm. dan weeder is another one of those of course because it's always negative <laughs> see i i don't see it I, I don't like dan weeder i don't see that i see a really good journalist that guy knocks out he'll, he'll knock out a fucking 
3,000 word column on Sunday and it's very well written and uh, once in a while he and even John's who John's I'm not a big, a big fan of to be honest with you somebody in, in, in the chat said he's a snob uh, and I agree with that he, he does strike me as one of these country club kids and uh, John's if you're if you're listening, maybe you will accept the, a, an invitation to the show. You know, sometimes people. He's been will, on once, right? I don't think uh, Adam Johns is not any, on this, like not yeah. on Hunter Proof or something. I thought he's been on the network once on one of the shows somewhere mm, along the lines. I know maybe, Hogue has. Maybe he was on the tailgate show, but I don't remember him being on. I remember uh, invitations from the bar room going to him, uh, and he accepted invitations. Like we retweeted his book and uh, met, messaged him and asked him to come on and talk about the book book. And then all of a sudden he ghosted. Uh, he ghosted uh, you too. <laughs> yes, this <exactly>. motherfucker <laughs> is a serial ghoster. Ryan Badgley that happened to. Uh, so, you know, Hogue has been very, very kind with his time. And I met him and his family out at uh, Bourbon A. And so I don't have that same feeling. And it's I'm not, I'm not saying that because he's been a host. I'm saying that because he was kind to us. And, you know, when you're with your family and you just finished covering practice and people are coming up to you and saying hi and making conversation and so forth. I, you know, I, me personally, I would want to try to get into my seat with my family as quickly as possible and leave me the fuck alone. But he was kind enough to stop and talk with with people and our group. Uh, and so he has a special needs son, and, and he has a special needs son too. So I, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I've always wondered what he saw in Adam Johns, you know. So, uh, but that, you know. It is what it is. Those guys are hardworking. I don't mind at all the tough questions. I prefer the tough questions. I applauded them. Uh, in uh, Matt Nagy's last year, they were taking him to task. I want them to continue to take coaches and players to task. And that's a hard thing to do because you want to establish, like Moon Mullen was outstanding at establishing relationships with players and keeping and still keeping it real, you know. And if you read Melissa Isaacson's uh, uh beautiful column uh, on the Daily Herald about their connection. And over the years, they would have breakfast together and he taught her so much and stuff. And one of the things that she wrote is that Moon would make uh, become friends, befriend, befriend second and third stringers. And it wasn't, you know, uh, anything inauthentic. He really took an interest in their careers and telling their stories and stuff. And, you know, some of those second or third stringers ended up winning starting jobs. And he had that relationship done with those players. And it was a valuable lesson for her. And I think a valuable, valuable lesson for a life lesson for all of us. Yeah, I. Like I said, I, I hated seeing the guy look as poorly as he did last week. I, I had no way of knowing he was about to die so quickly. Yeah, it's so and sad. It's just so horrible for his family and his friends and mm -hmm. colleagues and, and everything alike. I just, just once again, a harsh reminder that, uh, you know, not to, I'm not even religious, but I'm just saying, you know, we're not promised another day, you know? Mm-hmm. Chubbs is saying here, this is like several podcasts where several of the beat reporters are talking about how they don't ask tough questions because their access depends on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to hear uh, those guys talk about that because uh, and have an opportunity to take them to task on that because that shouldn't be the case. I mean, yes, it might hurt a little bit, you know, the Bears PR department, communications department might give somebody else an exclusive or access to a one-on-one -on -one interview other than you, but that should not stop 
any of the doesn't stop Jason Leisure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Got to ask the tough questions. Got to be the advocate of the fans, fans that are upset. Uh, they're not cheerleaders. They're not paid to uh, be cheerleaders. I remember John Fox trying to establish this cozy relationship with reporters, and reporters are like raising an eyebrow saying, no, nah, we're not here to you know promote the Bears. We're here to, to, to dissect them and dissect your job and stuff, and, and that's their responsibility. I mean, that's the kind of reporter I would be if I had access to press conferences and stuff. Ask the tough questions and see where it goes. Well, I still think, to go back to the weeder part, the reason it just rubs me so wrong in that regard is if this were 85, you know, it could be like week four, and he'd be, I'm sure he'd be writing a piece like, mm-hmm. I don't know, man, is Walter finished? It just feels like his angle is always something negative. Mm-hmm. Like you can call it hard hitting journalism he's doing his job or but it just feels like his angle always has something to do with pessimism he's like is this offensive line for real is mcmahon for real like he wouldn't be like wow this team looks like they could go to a super bowl he would find 30 things about it that are negative in my opinion yeah i don't know um i haven't seen that but i'm not saying you're wrong you know uh you look at different stuff uh than i do and and sometimes look at it differently and then that doesn't make you right or me right or anyone right it's our our opinion but uh, i have been following him mm -hmm. but i wouldn't be surprised if you told me he said and if i'm wrong I'll, i'll say okay maybe i'm the one who's at fault like you're saying maybe that's just my personal opinion and it's completely off base but i would bet that he's already saying fields is a bust Mm hmm that, that's the kind of guy he is to me, man. Hmm. It's just that sense of, I don't know, man. Uh, he's not putting together good days at minicamp and mandatory mini. I, I just, I don't think he's the guy. Yeah. I could see him saying that. But have you seen him or read him uh, saying that? No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, gotcha. It's conjecture on my point. Gotcha. Okay. At, at this part. Okay. Or at, at this point on my part, rather. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I was using that as an example, as a hypothetical. Gotcha. Nomad agrees with you. He says the key word is pessimism. Yeah, he's always down about whatever he's saying. The angle's always shitty. Mm -hmm. It's like he's a Green Bay fan who's been sent to our beat just to stir us up or something. (laughs) I want to say that he might be from Wisconsin. I read his. There you go. I read his bio on. There you fucking go. I I think he is from. King Pookie Nation says that I look like the, a black widow dad. I'm not sure why. I'm wearing a white shirt and my black socks hat. Uh, my wife told me before coming on, you need to take that white shirt off. And uh, I don't know what's wrong with just having a plain white shirt. But nonetheless, I wanted to read this quote uh, from the chat room from Zachary Sullivan. As soon as we started the show and you brought up Don Burr, uh, the Detroit Lions fan, uh, Zach said that Don Burr said he was so poor growing up. How poor was he? His brother and him used to suck each other off just so they could have something warm in their stomachs. Yeah, that's <laughs> awful. <laughs> <laughs> that cannot be true. I'm sure it's not true, but I think Zach Sullivan should write for comedians. <laughs> That's a classic <laughs> Jackie the Joke Man Martling joke. <laughs> that is outstanding. Well done. And if Don, if you're uh, if you're uh, tuning in and listening to that, um, yeah, is it true? <laughs> no. 
that might be a cheap shot at that gentleman. I don't, I don't know. It's funny as fuck, though. <laughs> it is. It I is feel no, bad for Don Burrow. <laughs> there's no cheap shots here in the bar room. <laughs> they're, all, they're all expensive shots. We got nothing but the best top shelf stuff. <laughs> that, that was hilarious. <laughs> that was fucking funny. Hey, Dad, <laughs> before we started the show, you said, man, I'm really looking forward to this show. Um, you know, a lot of drama in my life and stuff. You want you want to share anything with any anyone? Uh, just this kind of shit everyone has. We just got internal conflict at one of my jobs, and it's very stressful. I don't I don't want to elaborate on. It. Everyone's had workplace yeah. drama, and I'm in the middle of one of those situations now. That the only thing that makes it feel better is just time. Mm-hmm. You know, got hurt feelings across the board, that kind of thing, and yeah. it just takes time to get over it. And I'm in the middle of that shit right now, and plus all the time I've been putting in. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think I did like 78 hours last week and just fucking that adds to it because it makes you more emotional because you had less, less sleep and it's just been a, a, a horrible week. So that's what I was like, dude, I just can't wait to just get on here and talk it, about something else that, and not fixate on this web of shit in my head anymore. So. Yeah, I hear you, man. Well, and you've told me a number of times, you know, um, that how much you love being a part of the bar room and even just listening to the bar room because where you live, there aren't uh, any bears fans. And so you don't get an opportunity to talk to people about your favorite team. Yeah. Nobody and, gives a fuck. Everybody here is Pittsburgh fans. I mean, you may have old oh, back in the day, there were a lot of Washington fans during the Joe Gibbs era. I'm not going to call them bandwagon fans because I'm sure they continued on, but you know, they were older, you know, and it feels like everyone my age to a certain point are all Steeler fans. And when Carolina went to that Super Bowl, not the one in 03, but the, the one in 15, oh, mm-hmm. my God. The bandwagon fans that just came out of nowhere becoming Panthers fans was nauseating. Mm-hmm. But although we are very close to them, it's still Pittsburgh is definitely the team that everyone follows here for sure. Mm. Uh, overwhelmingly. Yeah. And uh, what uh, do you hear any of them talking about? Mitchell Trubisky and do they have high hopes for him or do you think he's just a, a bridge who by the middle of the season will be back on the bench a couple of my friends that that I that I have that are Steeler fans mm-hmm. uh two of them specifically that care as much as I do about the Bears like they do Pittsburgh and both of them have kind of shared optimism about Mitch they they, they really don't know what to expect but both of them are they don't think he was necessarily like Mike Glennon mm-hmm he wasn't signed as some kind of clandestine, you know, so that the no one will know we're drafting a quarterback. None of they don't think that. Yeah, they think the quarterback was available. They took him, and they think Mitch has a fair opportunity to show what he's got. Right. So they don't think that he's a bridge quarterback with decaying wood, <laughs> made out of decaying wood, huh? <laughs> no. In fact, both of them, again, uh, the only two people that I talked to specifically about this. Uh, in terms of the super fans of Pittsburgh, they both think that they're not, they're not sure about that pick yet. Mm -hmm. They're not like, Oh yeah, we got our next Roethlisberger. They both are kind of like, Ooh, I don't know if this guy's going to be any good. So I think they're both open to uh, Trubisky. Mm -hmm. We'll see how it goes. You know, I do. I, 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 I wish Mitchell well, but, uh, it, I don't have the same confidence in him that Mike North does. The, uh, uh, Chubbs is asking uh, you, you, that you, he's, he's saying that you probably have a lot of uh, Steelers fans asking you about Mitch, and if you do, what do you, what do you tell them? 
you know what? No one's ever, the truth is no one's ever asked me about Mitch. <laughs> I, I did no, no, those I've had people ask me what I thought about Mitch a lot when he was here. Mm. Like, you know, what, what do you think's going on? Like who falls and Mitch and, and then, you know, so he would come up during those discussions and, I always said that I liked him and that I thought that the Bears weren't utilizing his talent and I think he could be better than what he's shown mm -hmm. and that he's actually better than what his reputation says it is. Uh, but it never felt like I was always hopeful. It was always based on potential mm -hmm. versus what he was demonstrating. And I, I unless I'm wrong, I honestly feel if we if we shift it to current day, Chicago. I think that's the difference between Justin Fields and Mitchell Trubisky is that Fields, although he had a shitty rookie season, and I confess to that, I feel like he's someone that is going to show us that he's talented versus oh, we're hoping that his talent shows up. Mm -hmm. Chubb says, I think I agree with Mike North now more than ever I did because Matt Nagy was so bad and Mitch had a winning record and good stats. And I agree with you, uh, Chubbs, right. and, and, so and with Mike. You know, the, the the reality is he had a 29 and 21 record with the Chicago Bears, and he had a head coach who did not know how to utilize his physical talents and limit his uh his his deficiencies. And so you gotta believe that a better head coach and a better offensive coordinator is going to put him in a better spot to, to uh, deliver better stats and maybe even improve on that one loss uh, winning percentage. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think Mitchell Trubisky is, is an NFL quarterback. The question is, is, you know, is he just an average quarterback or can he arise to that top of tier two? He's never going to be a tier one quarterback without any doubt. With Mike Tomlin, he might, maybe he could be. I don't like know. I, I really believe Tomlin's a good coach. I know he hasn't won a Super Bowl in a long time, but still, I feel like comparing him to Matt Nagy is like comparing Vince Lombardi to you know Mark Tressman. Mm -hmm. I just, just feel like he could put him in a spot to to look really good. And if you told me Pittsburgh won a few playoff games with him, I wouldn't be surprised. But I wouldn't want to put my money on it. Here, I do have a question. So you're you're doing a show with Mike this week, right? I did one this morning. Oh, was this morning. I was thinking it was tomorrow. Uh, the question I would ask him, and it's not from an adversarial position at all, because mm -hmm. you know I'm a fan of Mike's, mm -hmm. for real, legit. Uh, and I like Dan Jiggets as well. Uh, my question would be, does Mike want Fields to fail, like to just make his theory on Trubisky look even better? You know, it kind of felt like last yeah. season, never Fields had a bad game. He kind of puffed his chest out a little bit on that, you know, but I told you. No, I I, I think that, you know, that's a legitimate question. I, I truly believe that he uh, was so angry that the Bears released or did not resign Mitchell Trubisky and instead uh, and didn't further develop Trubisky. Uh, and instead drafted a new quarterback and started all over again that he was upset with that. He would have he would have felt the same way if they would have had Trevor Lawrence. Trust me on that. Uh, his, his, his affinity, his love, his man crush, however you want to call it, for Mitchell Trubisky is so strong. And truly, when we first started, uh, when Trubisky first started, he was – he was throwing Trubisky under the bus. He didn't like him, but it wasn't until he saw him play a little, and then Trubisky showed up wearing that Dicka outfit for how the, oh, the Halloween. 
Yeah. He, I mean, he, Mike loves Mike Ditka. Uh, Mike North loves Mike Ditka and so thought that I. was such a beautiful homage and that the kid understood the history of the franchise that that's when the love affair with Mitchell started. Um, so I think it's more about that. I don't think it has anything that I think it has less to do with Justin Fields and much more to do with. So if Fields is balling this year, will Mike be cheering that on? Absolutely. He will. Absolutely. Good. Good. Yeah. I, I, I will bet on that. I will bet on that. And he's, uh, he said this morning that he kind of sees a seven and 10 record, but that it could actually get above or closer to 500, you know, with certain things go right. And that's a big topic of our show today. Segue time. <laughs> I wanted Dan and myself. And then later when Tooch comes on to talk about certain players that, could take us from, as I said in the promo, if you saw it on Twitter, um, my fucking promo. To that, the fucking playoffs. <laughs> exactly. Man. That's right. Fucking playoffs. <laughs> playoffs. That's where we need Jim Moore. And, and this is really shows dedicated to you, Dan, because you've been so optimistic and you've been preaching that. Why not us? It happens. It happens. And and I you know, I look at the roster and, I, and I, I, I look at history. Usually, you know, when there's so much turnover and so much so many changes and stuff. It usually takes a little while, but that's not to say that it doesn't ever happen. New coaches, new schemes, new players, they can sometimes gel together. And the more and more I listen to these press conferences, Dan, and the more and more I am impressed with what these guys are saying. And and it to me, it just is, is fucking fantastic. I'm, I'm getting a little bit of hope here. Thanks to you, Dan, and thanks to listening to some of these guys talk. You still uh, feeling a little positive about the season? Yeah. Um, if I recall correctly, Braxton Jones, I think I saw that he only gave up like three sacks in college. Uh, in his entire college career. I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, if he ends up being the left tackle, I mean, I know he's a fifth-round pick. I, but, if, you know, if the guy's not giving up any sacks, at least at the collegiate level, that's something you can build on for the pros. And obviously we need somebody – on the left side to be there and to be our guy, to be the anchor. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Borum goes to right tackle. I do, you know, like we talked about before, the Jenkins thing mm-hmm. is troubling. But it, this regime didn't draft him. I still wish him well. And maybe there's a chance they get through his ass in at right guard. I, do, I don't know. Uh, you know. Maybe that's completely, you know, I mean, I'd rather see him there than Sam Mustafer. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I do have hope for, you know, for the offensive line to be better than what we think it's going to be. Uh, if, if maybe white hair and the, the, the guy we got from Green Bay, what's his name in the center? Lucas Patrick. Patrick seems like the real deal. Mm-hmm. Maybe white hair can bounce back knowing that he's the left guard and not going to go back to the other position and mm-hmm. they you know, solidify himself there. And then if you got the rookie at left tackle who plays well and maybe who, who might. It's possible that the line could be better than it has been the last few years. Yeah, Olin Krutz tweeted out. He thinks the offensive line is going to be better than the defensive line. And he had Sam Mustaver in his projected lineup as a starter. I don't see that happening. I, Lucas Patrick is definitely going to start at center. And Sam Mustaver is going – they're training Mustaver to be a – a flex interior offensive lineman so that if the center goes down or one of the guards goes down, Sam Mustafer Mustafer could potentially fill in that role. But there is is no guarantee at all that he's going to make the team. Sam Mustafer might not make the team. Uh, So, uh, But I'm with you 100%, Dan, that I think this offensive line is going to uh, 
be better than expected. And here is my projected offensive line. And you mentioned the key player already, Braxton Jones. The more I'm more, I learn about this guy. And I know people in the chat room are going to say, but Aldo, I've been telling you about this, this guy for months. I know you have. And I, and I, and I, and Scox, I, I appreciate that. And everybody else who's been singing the uh, uh, glories of Braxton Jones, I, I appreciate that, but I have to see it for myself. Right. And so based on the tape that I've seen, based on what he talks about, what he says, how he says it, he's the starting left tackle for this upcoming season. I don't give a fuck where he was drafted. And he's he's going to have spotless games every uh spotless games every game this year? No, he's not. He's going to make mistakes. But this guy is going to be a fucking hell of a good player. I want to play some sound bites for for you that it's going to make your dick even harder than it is right now, Dan. <laughs> Take it easy, all right? <laughs> it's been hard ever since I've heard that story about the two guys sucking each other off. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I love it. This is Braxton talking about uh, with, you know, uh, do you feel like you're competing for a starting job? Everybody's competing. Um, them uh, maybe rotating or whatever you want to call it. It's it's all competition. Um, everybody's competing for a job at the end of the day. Um, I'm competing for a job. You know, maybe a guy's behind me or competing for a job and maybe a right tackle on the other side is competing for my job. So, um you know, an interior guy, you never know. So at the end of the day, it's all competition going into season, I would say. Now, let me add to that by having him explain where he needs to improve. In this short period of time. Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing, just my transition from even uh, college to the NFL or college to the Senior Bowl to the NFL um, and just in these OTAs is throwing my hands. Um, in college, I you know, was really reserved with my hands and I didn't use my long arms to my advantage. So I would say that's one of the big things. And still to this day, I mean, I still got to work on them. Um, They're a big thing for me and they're going to help me be very, you know, really good in this league. And so um, I just think the biggest thing with them is being more consistent, but they've gotten better. How how specifically have you you worked on that and who's helped you with that the most? uh, definitely Coach Morgan. Uh, he's been a big influence on that, just throwing them babies, um, letting them go. They're long, just letting them go. Um, you know, and he's just harping on me, and I love it because it, it is a big thing. I notice when I, when I punch them, get them off the, get them off their spot. It, it's it's huge. Um, it helps me um, just recover, do anything. So just using those hands. But he's been a main influence in you know coaching me and being good about that, staying on me. What do you think about what he just said? And what's the vibe that he gives you when he talks? Sounds very studious. Yeah, right? Intelligent. Uh, he doesn't sound like you're, you know, the the caricature of an offensive line from previous generations. that just they, they, they went out on Thursday and they drank beer and, you know, they got into fights. You know, he, does, <laughs> he sounds like a... A guy that would have been a great student, mm-hmm. someone that's going to watch film a lot, and and not one of these, you know, cavemen kind of guys. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We've won the Super Bowl with a, 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 a an enormous amount of cavemen. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but right. he just sounds like the kind of guy that uh, would be valedictorian of his high schools. What I'm saying, yeah, he's, he's well spoken. Mm-hmm. He seems like he'd be a nice guy, and obviously if he's talking about just small things like the way he's using his hands, I mean, he's trying to get better mm-hmm. and I, he did something right. If he only gave up a few sacks, his entire run in college. Right. 
Right. But he's still yet. He's still trying to improve. So, yeah, uh, he's he's very impressive. Yeah, I got but again. It's still June. Yeah, I got a ton more sound bites, but I won't play any more from Braxton Jones. I want to play some from other players. But over and over again, his responses are so thoughtful. And from what we're hearing about camp, I think that the, the, the coaches really love this guy. And I think that they're thinking this guy could be the answer. So let's put him in there with the ones. Let's keep pressing him. Let's keep challenging him. Let's keep throwing things at him. And that now that the OTAs and the mandatory mini camp are over, these coaches, you know, uh, before they go on break or maybe they're on break now, they're looking at that film and they're saying, okay, when we go back into the real training camp, here's going to be our depth chart. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it, man. I'm feeling that they're going to list Braxton Jones as the number one left tackle, that Larry Borum will be the number one right tackle. At right guard will be Tevin Jenkins. At center will be Lucas Patrick. And at left guard will be Cody Whitehair. And I truly believe in my bones that that's a better offensive lining lineups, uh, starting offensive lineup than the one Olin Krutz put out with uh, Sam Mustafer at right guard and, uh, uh, excuse me, Sam Mustafer at center, I think he had, and Lucas Pat at right guard. There's just no way, first of all, that Patrick is going to move to right guard. He was brought in to be the center. He's been working like 90% of the snaps uh, in camp uh, with Justin Fields at center. Yeah, but Olin's boys, Mustafer, so you, you can't forget that in part of his well, I don't want him to beat my ass now, but <laughs> I think he he's very close friends with Sam Mustafer by his own admission. You think you and I could take Owen Cruz? I I'll go down no, low, no, you go I don't high. Be involved in any fucking soundbite <laughs> war with Owen Cruz. What if somebody said, "Okay, guys, I'm going to give you Dan and Aldo twenty five thousand dollars to get into the ring with Owen Cruz and just try to pin him"? Would you do it? Not for twenty five grand. No. How much? You're going to pay off my mortgage? Right. My mortgage, I still owe $80,000 in my house. Hey, You're going to pay off my fucking mortgage? I'll let this guy maul me <laughs> to have my mortgage paid. Would you suck his dick? I would not suck his dick. <laughs> All right. Well, the invitation is out there, but we need somebody to come up with $80,000 first of all. Wait a minute. I, I got to get a cut out of that. Make it an even $100,000. I'll take 20. Danny, Dan can have 80, and uh, we'll take on Old Cruz in the ring. That'll be fun, man. I got to get in shape for that because I'm going to be running around, running for my life. <laughs> yeah, that guy, he's, man, he's. Again, I don't want it like to piss him off, but he's. I thought like because listening to all of his sound bites, because he's such a good analyst, mm -hmm. and I'm not just placating him when I say that. Uh, since he had retired, I thought he had chilled, like he's a dad, and you know, got a, a bunch of kids, presumably a beautiful wife, a beautiful house, a beautiful life, and. Mm -hmm. But he's just as angry as he's always been. So yeah, I don't want any part of that. That motherfucker would tear me up, and I know it. Yeah, you know, you and I were texted back and forth on that topic. I'm worried about guys like Kyle Long and uh, and Olin Krutz. And please, if Olin does listen to this, I'm not meaning. I don't mean that as uh, you know. I'm taking pity or being critical in any way. I just know from what I've seen. I was friends with Dave Dorison, 
And Dave was just an outstanding human being. You know, he went on and had great success. Uh, besides knowing him when he played, I worked at CBS and working on a couple projects with him during his playing days. But at post his playing days, I used to work for McDonald's and do work for the Ronald McDonald House Charities. And Dave was a big time supporter of that. And we would talk and so forth. It's just great. And so for him to go through that CTE thing, um, you know, I worry for guys who are banging helmets all the time and uh, that something could go wrong. And so guys like Kyle and Olin who have shown some anger management issues, I worry, I personally worry about them because I care about them like friends. So a- anyway, um, be that as it may. So there's my offensive line. Uh, you want to grade my offensive, a uh, projected offensive line? Do you think it's a well, good one? Yeah, well, the only thing that I want to take umbrage with on it is I feel like you and I putting Jenkins at right guard, there's no evidence to support that yet that he's been, as far as I know, they haven't tried him out at guard. I uh, Yeah, they said they were or, or that it's part of the process. So if he's going to move over the right guard, I, I, that has to happen pretty fucking quickly. As soon as the, the training camp opens. Exactly. We, we got like six weeks from now. Uh, correct. Yeah, I would I would put him there day one if that's going to be the place. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, for better or for worse, man, this is your spot. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's just going to be the backup to both tackles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, hopefully, you know, the investment with Tevin Jenkins is so huge. Second round pick. Uh, boy, he's got to be a starter somewhere on that offensive line. I think yeah, Ryan. They don't care if he fails because he's not their pick. Well, I. I, I slightly disagree with that. I think they do care simply because Jesus, they got to you got to protect the fucking quarterback. That's your that's your. Well, what I meant by that was if Larry Borum outplays him, they don't have any politics. Agreed. Or he's not our pick, so we don't have to force him in there if he's not uh, actually the, one of the best five. Yeah, and and it's funny that you say that because Swanky just a little while ago said. Uh, you know, th- that same thing that he's just glad that at this point we're not seeing those politics play into who's playing and who's not playing, who's in the starting lineup and so forth. And that that to me is a promising sign for this team. We need excellent evaluators of talent and we need people with the guts and the balls to say, I don't care where this motherfucker was drafted. He's, he should start it over the guy that's making more money, that kind of approach, uh, because you know you're just shooting yourself. Uh, you're putting that gun and, and, and aiming it straight at your heart if you're going to start playing politics over who should be getting playing time and stuff. And these people, Eberflus, his coaching staff, and Ryan Poles, they don't strike me as those kind of uh, uh, weak-hearted uh, guys like Ryan Pace was in in my mind, my my disdain for Ryan Pace still continues to grow. And I know people on social media is like, you know, those guys that left already. No, yeah, but they left a mess. <laughs> That's the problem. They left a fucking mess. And so until we it's all you. cleaned up, then we I'm going to continue to complain. I agree with you, but as we keep bro- breaking down here and and extrapolating out why we think this could be a possible playoff team. Because again, we just started on offensive line. The overarching theme is like, okay, well, how could we make it, make it to the playoffs? I still think the specter over all of this is the bald fuck is not here. Mm -hmm. If Matt Nagy were still the coach, then if someone was saying they're six and 11 or five and whatever the fuck, (laughs) I mean, it's like, okay, I get it. Cause we have such a horrible coach and Eberflus 
could prove to be, you know, another bad hire. I, I'd like to think not. I hope not. But he seems already superior to, to Matt Nagy. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my selling to you and to everyone is that a coaching staff that is better than the other one. That should be number one on our tree here. As I started the offensive line, the first thing I should have said was Matt Nagy's going. Yeah. Which, which is something is so huge. Yeah. Something you've been saying, right? Right. But I mean, even now, talking about well, how are we going to get to the playoffs? This guy's gone. Mm-hmm. And even if Ryan Pace was a complete and utter failure, like you were saying, and I, I, I can't disagree with you, mm-hmm. uh, he's not the one coaching the team. I know he's the one with inferior picks and, and such, but still, like as we can point out, this guy was misusing Trubisky, and and they brought in Andy Dalton, and mm-hmm. they brought in Foles, and again, I, you know, Foles is an accomplished guy, and and he's got a large penis. We can't take that away from him. <laughs> but, Big Dick Nick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Foles, maybe they paid too much for him, but wasn't necessarily a terrible signing. But Dalton was horrible. Mm-hmm. Just a horrible pick. Useless. Yeah, absolutely. You still had Foles there, and Foles is arguably better than he was anyway. Mm-hmm. And you give this guy $10 million to do nothing. And remember that game against the Cardinals? He throws four picks, and that last one was just so bad. It was like even Cutler would have been like, what the fuck are you doing? Because, you know, Jay had a lot of those like, oh, God, what are you doing picks? Like, you got picked off by a 380-pound guy in the NFC Championship game. <laughs> oh, that wasn't him. I'm sorry. That was uh, – Ah, uh, what the fucking backup that's help me out here. Caleb Haney. Caleb Haney. Yeah. Yeah, they got picked off by the the four hundred pound man. Oh God. Why uh, bring uh, that BJ Ra- BJ Raji. Oh that sickens me to this day. I could have a fucking rash on my penis and it would feel better than having to see that highlight. <laughs> God damn it, man. But I, I getting back to the topic. I if the Bears are gonna make the playoffs, I, I think it starts with a new coach. Mm-hmm. And and glad Dalton's not here too. I mean, he may be a great guy, but I would I feel so much better with number one behind center. Mm. And like we said, so to make it concise, offensive line could could be better. You never know; everyone could get hurt. Like that's happened. Mm-hmm. And then by week five, you're like, you guys look dumb. Why did you say the line was going to be? I mean, injuries happen. Mm-hmm. On paper, in on June twenty first. There's a little bit of hope right now for the line, I think. I'm with you. I'm with you 100% on that. There is hope. Um, CJ Williams. Go to secondary next, but I interrupted you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I was going to say CJ Williams uh, said that Olin uh, uh, had on Tevin Jenkins on his podcast, and Jenkins admitted that he's still getting into condition. Um, So I think that may be. Uh, just to give him the benefit of the doubt, that he wasn't 100% when he came back from injury last season. Right. And I hope that he didn't spend the offseason away from Hallis Hall and not working in, uh, into condition. And so perhaps that's why they had him with the second stringers because the coaching staff noticed, dude, you're you're heaving and huffing here. You know, we, we need to see more effort out of you. You know, they got that whole fucking hit system and it's a metric system and they grade your hustle out on the field and they post it for all the players to see so that they – have accountability for their actions, which I think is a great idea. And you got players saying, Hey, you know, you got to start hustling more and so forth. So if that's the case with Tevin Jenkins, he better get his shit together because he will be on the bench and uh, who knows where else he, he, he could a- end up. 
But I do believe that uh, he can get his shit together and play the guard position, which is a lot of analysts, including Danny Shimon and Neil Stopchinski here at the Barroom Network, said he's much better suited for the inside than he is outside, and he could be a really good, even above average, uh, offensive guard. So that's he's got that going for him. Didn't I, wasn't he with Komet and Fields at Wrigley Field? I don't know that. Um, I think I saw, I think I read somewhere that he had a home run at Wrigley Field. I know that Justin Fields hit one, but I, did Tevin hit one too? Uh, we got Cubs I, fans in the chat. I thought I read on Twitter, and if that's the case, it made me think immediately his back must be feeling better. Yeah, if you could take a swing like that, hit one out at Wrigley, even even with the short wall there, I think I can jack one out in Wrigley Field. I'm just saying that because I know Chubbs is a big Cubs fan, and I want to <laughs> piss him off. Um, all right. Um, I got another player. I got another player who I think that can take us from fucking mediocrity. By the way, Art by Nike says that you are absolutely right. Uh, Komet hit one out. Jenkins hit one out. Justin Fields hit one out. Where the fuck was I, man? I got to stop drinking this shit here. <laughs> Doesn't it make you feel good about his back? Hell yeah. Hell I mean, yeah. his, the surgery must have been well because it gone well because he wouldn't be out there hit, trying to fucking hit home runs at Wrigley Field if he was hurt. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, it looks like Jenkins hit a couple of home runs, as did uh, Komet and Field. So it was not a fluke. Uh, Jordan says, man, I'll just never understand the desire to just shove him inside. Jenkins is phenomenal at the Big Ten at, at – was phenomenal at the Big Ten at tackle. Jordan, you know, uh, Jordan is going to comment on one of the other players. And for those people who did not see on our Twitter feed, Jordan is going to join the Barroom Network with his very own show. He is, of course, already a member of the Barfly Tailgate Show, which uh, will come back sometime in August, Sunday mornings, pregame show. And uh, But he will also have his own show called Bare Necessities, where he will share his uh, wisdom about the game of football, and it's going to be something special. And in fact, we'll have a little treat for you uh, as we go through some of the players that I've got on my list. Dan, you wanted to talk about the next position group, or did you have a player that you think is going to take us from fucking mediocrity to the goddamn playoffs? Well, I was going to go to the secondary, but... I don't want to skip off of the center here mm-hmm. uh, from Green Bay, Patrick. Yeah. Everything I've read and, and seen, you know, whether it was talking about his days with the Packers playing mm-hmm. guard, playing center, and just hearing him speak, I think that was a great acquisition. Oh, yes. Gosh, if, if I was fucking just grading this team on what they say, I would say this team is going to the Super Bowl. They seem to say all the right things. But it's um, not like in a can, the way Mitch's press conferences were. Right, exactly. It feels like they're speaking from the heart, mm-hmm. with the exception of Ryan Paul's introductory press conference when he was clearly reading. He was reading. He was nervous. It was not, you know, I blame that on the communications team over at the Hallisaw. They should have coached them up a little, made him relax. You know, it, marijuana is legal. <laughs> and go the McMahon route and open a fucking can of beer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> really endear yourself to Bears fans. Go up there, Ryan Poles, for your next press conference with a can of Schlitz or, or something. <laughs> Put a headband on it. says pace. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. You wanted to go to secondary? Yeah. Well, I know we said this around the draft, mm-hmm. but at the time I remember hearing that Kyler Gordon had never given up a touchdown mm-hmm. and that uh, Brisker, the mm-hmm. safety. Mm-hmm. Had never been, or hadn't been penalized. Right. 
Right. Uh, again, those are not going to – that's clearly not going to happen forever in the pros. Yeah, not the way Probably he plays. one. <laughs> yeah. Brisker gets flagged for fucking interference, and Gordon gives up a touchdown. Mm -hmm. uh, but on paper, again, it's good acquisitions because the secondary was terrible. I mean, mm -hmm. just absolutely terrible. And to me, Brisker, everyone is saying, a beat writer wise, that he was a you know a leader as soon as he got on the field mm -hmm. in OTAs and was clearly going to be a starter as soon as he got there. His leadership was there already, despite being a young kid that was just drafted. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems like that's a slam dunk. And if you combine, if, if like Eddie Jackson said this guy wants to get in there and get dirty, then so be it. Well, mm -hmm. then again, we all been down on Eddie and rightfully so, but that will help Eddie mm -hmm. if he's playing the Amos role mm -hmm. and then he can play back and maybe get some picks. And then if, again, in theory, you've got a corner to go along with Johnson, who I think is a little overloved, but neither guy should be terrible. I agree. This secondary and is better than it's been in years, at least on paper. It, you still got to worry about the the slot guy and, and the nickel, but yep. but the, it's not going to be Tavon, Shelley this year. You got the, the kid Tavon, who was from the Ravens, who was one of the better slot cornerbacks uh, in the league. He just has to stay healthy. Um, so we've got players. And this secondary, I, I think, is could be the strength of the team. I really do. And, and then the Graham guy, what was his name? He, he emerged late last season. Thomas Graham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The draft pick from last year that for right. some reason didn't get any PT yeah. until really late last season. Well, I can tell you why. He was not ready to play. He admitted it. He said – what because he had – he took the COVID year off, and so he didn't play that year of college football. And so when he showed up to camp, he was actually dropped because he just wasn't ready to play football. And he had – one of the good things that Ryan Pace did – before he left was that he coached them up, sent them a bunch of tape, encouraged them to keep battling and so forth. And the coaching staff saw improvement week by week by week. And so when the defensive backfield got depleted with injuries, they gave him his break and he immediately responded. It wasn't a knock. It, we shouldn't knock the coaching staff for not playing him earlier. It was just simply what Graham himself said. I was not ready and I'm glad I had the time to get ready. Well, the guys ahead of him weren't clearly weren't ready either. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Good point. I mean, I'm not trying to hate, but I know you like Vildor way more than I do. Well, he deteriorated. His play Shelley deteriorated, just, so I can see. You know, yeah, you're right. Vildor and, and Shelley both played terribly, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Shelley started guys, to play better. Had he be on the team this year? But don't you think that Shelley started to play better towards the last three, four games of the season? Not that I can recall, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> With your great memory, you can't recall it, so it probably didn't happen. <laughs> Nothing about either one of those guys ever stood out to me as positive. And, I mean, everyone was praising Vildor, mm -hmm. and I was like, man, am I watching a different game? But, I mean, I'm not breaking down the film. I'm not trying to be an expert. I'm not going on NFL Network. I'm simply sitting in this chair as a fan. And from a fan, non-professional perspective, it felt like that dude was terrible. Yeah. But uh, to your point about Brisker and Eddie Jackson, I got a couple of sound bites that I butted together. This is Eddie talking about uh, Brisker. He was asked what he likes about it. And then this is Brisker being asked, you know, what uh, can you uh, bring to uh, in terms of being the uh, uh, co-safety along with Eddie Jackson? 
we kind of kind of some similarities. I know he he always tell me he like to be in the box. Uh, so just just having that right there, he want to be down, and I can be in the back, be free. But we can switch it at any time. So just having some similarities is is gonna be fun. Is that music to your ears? I mean, that's because <laughs> you want to do right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. But I'm I'm willing to play both. It don't matter. But I mean, just knowing that he's he's accepting that role and he's really buying into it is. You can go ahead. I'm going to let him get it. Well, I know what your skill set allows Eddie Jackson to do. He's willing, but would probably rather not be down there taking on backs and tight ends. What does his skill set allow you to be able to do? Really just, you know, allows me to, you know, focus on, you know, just one thing. You know, whether that's me playing in the box and, you know, covering the tight end or, you know, coming down and hitting and, you know, anything like that or, you know, if we if he does come down and then you know I'm back you know I could you know show I got great range too and then obviously he could play both safeties so that's the one thing about the safety duel is that Brisker has shown that he has the versatility to play that deep safety and in the box Eddie Jackson has never proven that he can play in the box he he can he only plays that deep safety that's what he did at Alabama he you know at Alabama he had free reign of center, center field. Uh, and, um, and unfortunately after Fangio, Vic Fangio left, you know, that, uh, the defensive system didn't really play to, uh, well, Vic Fangio and Adrian Amos, when those guys left, uh, didn't play to Eddie Jackson's strength. So it's going to be interesting to see how many times we'll see Eddie Jackson in the box. You certainly don't want it to be predictable, uh, because quarterbacks then will be able, veteran quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers will be able to pick apart that secondary if they know where these guys are lining up every time. You got to do some disguises and, and things like that. But, uh, those two guys have the makings of being as good as the Amos. Jackson secondary, and I'm super excited about that. I had both of those guys on my list, Dan, that you mentioned, uh, Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon. That's going to make a huge, huge difference on this team and, again, could take us from fucking mediocrity to the goddamn playoffs. All right, let me uh, let me throw another one at you here. Um, <clears throat> I have on my list Travis Gibson. You like Travis Gibson, Dan? Defensive line. We're gonna find out. I mean, he's obviously did well uh, in the backup role, and and you know, starting for Khalil Mack last season. Yes, he did. But it, you know, it's a whole different. It's almost like you were, to use a baseball analogy, he was the guy that you know, oh shit, the starter's out, and it's a third inning. Well, we'll bring this guy in to pitch the next five out of the pen. Mm-hmm. He's like you're almost. He's not really a starter, but he's the long man out of the pen, and he's the guy you depend on whenever there's a, a you know, a fucking train wreck early in the game. But now, now he's a fucking starter, or or maybe they've switched him to closer. Mm-hmm. Either way, he's in a new role, and he's got to prove that, you know, last season wasn't a fluke, right? And and now there's added pressure that w- that wasn't there before because he was pretty much. There was no time to second guess. It's just like you're the next guy up. Mm-hmm. But now you're the guy. So let's see it. But yeah, I, I like him. He's one of our guys. We drafted him. He's playing so far, has played well. And again, I'm not at these um, OTAs, but it seems that without pads, he's impressing again. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I'm being asked by J2K Larsonette uh, how can he be a breakout player this year when he broke out last year? Well, the reason I am 
I have him on my list is because I do believe he is going to see twice the amount of snaps that he saw last year. And so I don't have his stats in front of me, but that means that he could potentially double, maybe even triple his sack uh, and strip sack uh, numbers from last year that he could, if Robert Quinn decided, I don't want to play for the Bears or the Bears decided that we're going to trade Robert Quinn, that he could be a more than adequate replacement. I, I think this guy is, uh, is, is if he broke out last year, then what he's going to do this year is outstanding. So I went to my uh, good buddy, uh, Jordan, and asked him, can you give me a, a 30, 60-second uh, scouting report on Gibson? And so, of course, he gave me a four-and-a-half minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but this is not only to um, uh, showcase what Gibson is, but also to give you a taste of uh, our new host of Bear Necessities, Jordan Silveria. And, I again, I apologize if I screwed up your name. I'm going to let Jordan take it away here and share with us uh, his scouting report on Travis Gibson. And this should be a delight for all of you football fans who uh, like thorough scouting reports. When I think about Travis Gibson, I think of an individual that above all else is very well-rounded and talented in his skill set. The thing that sticks out to me most is his explosiveness off the ball. And this is coming from a guy who was a defensive end in a 4-3 system at Tulsa, had to transition and take a year in learning to become a stand-up backer. And even as a 3-4 outside linebacker, he did an exceptional job of getting off the ball quickly and often putting tackles on their back foot, wondering, how do I deal with this guy? And that was one of the next best parts about Travis Gibson. He's an individual that... This is a big part of my evaluation that I care about with trench play, especially from defensive linemen, is can you win multiple ways? This is a league in the NFL that predicates itself on taking away your best skill and asking, can you find another way to beat me? And that is one of Travis Gibson's best skill sets. He has a signature inside swim move. One of my favorite moves that he's found a way to consistently use and perfect is what I call a ghost move. A little bit of a hesitation where as the tackle is starting to shoot the hands, he will dip that shoulder down, the tackle will miss, and he can slide right by. Well, what happens when he accidentally gets caught with those hands doing a ghost move? The next best part, winning on the second move, learning how to react. He shows a great ability to throw up a strong rip, to forcefully show strength, to beat around the arc and get around the corner to hit quarterbacks. He creates consistent pressures. Another great thing is even when he seems like he's beat, he uses excellent hand usage to continue to try to fight free off tackles blocks, and he consistently is looking for the ball. There's numerous cut-ups I can show on film where he is actively caught in a block fighting away, only to still have the reactionary awareness to then break free as a quarterback's trying to scramble past him, or to all of a sudden separate at the point of attack to tackle or swallow up a running back. This is all pass rush essentials here hand movement, getting off the ball. How does he do in run defense? Well, when we think about run defense, I've, I can show you cut-ups of him dealing with some of the nastiest fullbacks, Patrick Ricard from the Ravens, dealing with sift blocks from tight ends, TJ Hawkinson, for example. He forcefully throws hands. He likes to oftentimes completely just stunt and just boop, stop them right in the way. And this is ultimately what creates 
great ability to separate from blocks, hold his ground, set the edge, and stop the run. I think that he also showed exceptional awareness as a 3-4 backer and being able to cover in space. So as much as he's talked openly about the desire to just be able to get off the ball and rush as a 4-3 end again, I think he'd be exceptional in the ability to also spot drop and create the illusion by bringing pressure in different areas and then dropping Travis out. Whereas, for example, Robert Quinn, if he's on the team, does not traditionally like that, as he's expressed so many times that he prefers to just be a 4-3 end. Travis, now being cross-trained to be a 3-4-4-3 guy, has the ability to drop in coverage, and that's another check mark to add to his game, to his repertoire. And then finally, the thing that I think is most important to touch on is, if you heard me at the start of this, I think one of his best traits is his explosiveness, his ability to get off the ball. The thing that is eerie, and boy, does it make me excited to see his snap count double, triple, just in the amount of time he plays now that Khalil Mack's out of the picture. He's talked about when asked, what are you excited about jumping back to a 4-3 system? He said that he prefers having his hand in the ground. And this is not totally abnormal. Guys like Harald Vandenbosch, for example, was always better with his hand in the ground as opposed to having to be a two-point guy when they transitioned to three-fours and later in his career, Tennessee, things of that nature. He, being Travis Gibson, talked about having his hand in the dirt allows him to get more into that lunging forward stance that ultimately pushes force creates acceleration, allows his get-off to be even more explosive for him to just shoot himself into his man, engage the block, disengage, use hand movement to get out. So when I think about Travis Gibson, I have incredibly high expectations for what he can be as a full-time player now returning back to a 4-3 as a defensive end with his game totally refined in a lot of areas of strength. Not bad there, Dan Aguirre. What did you think of that analysis by our man Jordan? Well, I can't contradict it because once more, I haven't studied film and I certainly haven't broken down pass rush moves since I played football 77 years ago. So it's a different skill set than my own. Uh, it's not to take away from what he said, but to add to it, mm-hmm. uh, Gibson had nine starts last year and had seven sacks. So in theory, he could have, I don't know, 16, 17 starts this year. Mm-hmm. And again, Perhaps he'll be double-digit sacks this year. And if you find a way to keep Robert Quinn, which it's got to be 50-50 at this point, although I keep hearing people say that the Bears will probably be happy to get a six-rounder for him. And I'm like, what the fuck? This guy had 18 and a half sacks last year. I know that he only had, you know, he he's 32, I mean, but still, like, God, look at all the shit that the Denver got last season in their trade at the end of the year for, for Vaughn Miller. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine Quinn only being like four, fifth, or six. But Gibson, I do think, uh, could be an important piece this year, and we hope that he takes that next step. Did you have his stats uh, page in front of you there? Did you? Uh, I looked it up while he w- off of Pro Football Reference while the right. piece was going. Right, because yeah, he had. Uh, I'm looking it up myself. He had how many sacks? Was it seven? Yeah, and nine starts. And nine starts, and he forced – I'm trying to find how many fumbles he forced because uh, he recovered one. Uh, he forced five fumbles. F- so he had that strip sack uh, 
uh, quality to him. He has that. And he was asked, you know, where did you get that from? And if I can find the fucking soundbite, I'll play it for you. Here's Travis Gibson talking about uh, how he learned to turn over the ball. I think I picked it up from the vets in my room, Mack and Quinn, last year. And um, they were just, you know, repeatedly saying, like, you get the ball out, you get credit for the sack and the forced fumble, you know, get the ball out from the quarterback. It counts for a bunch of stats. And, um, you know, that's what overall helps guys' careers. You know, that's what we do to get paid and this, that, and the third. So I think getting the ball out is more important than tackling. I think it's more important than a lot of things. It can change the momentum of the game. Is that putting an emphasis on that? Yes. Yes, they are. Um, a lot. <laughs> a lot. And I think that's going to be bred into our defense. And protecting the ball is going to be bred into our offense. And I think that's going to be something we cherish. I hope he doesn't miss any fucking tackles this season because that, that'll really piss me off. <laughs> he takes his Eddie Jackson approach. I'm just looking for turnovers and don't fucking tackle. But I'm I'm super impressed with him. The guys that we've talked about, and by the way, th- thank you very much, Jordan, for that outstanding uh, scouting report. Yeah, I didn't uh, mean to take away from Jordan. No, no, I don't think you did. Uh, uh, and again, Bare Necessities is going to start soon. We'll have uh, promos on the Barroom Network Twitter feed and all over the place uh, promoting his first show, which will be before the end of the month. And so uh, we're all looking forward to that. But um, I wanted to say that Braxton Jones, Travis Gibson, Jaquan Brisker, Kyler Gordon are some of the players I think that are going to take us from fucking mediocrity to the goddamn playoffs. And so um, is there a position group that you want to go through before I go on to the next player on my list, Dan? No, go ahead. Uh, Again, just keeping an overarching theme so far, we're trying to, to convince everyone if the Bears would make the playoffs, these are the guys that would help us get there. We started with a new coach. Offensive line, secondary. Right. So here we go. Excellent. Wait, excellent way to put it. And I'll ask you a question as I lead into my next player. What do you remember from Nick Anderson's rookie season with the Chicago Bears? Going back to what, 06? Yeah, that was the 06 season, right? Yeah, he had a lot of sacks. It's kind of like what we're hoping that Gibson doesn't do. Mm-hmm. He came in, had a lot of those sacks, and then by 07, he's the starter and is never the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, seemed like he had 10 sacks, right? I think he had, it was 10 sacks. He was a, a situa- situational pass rusher. And so that's why my next player on my list, I think, is could be a great comparison to Nick Anderson, oh, the rookie? Dominique Robinson. Yeah, they, they said, again, Mark Anderson. all accounts, so far with just no pads on, he's looked great. Mm-hmm. Buddy's been beating Tevis Gibson, or not Gibson, but uh, our guy that we want to play right guard now. So. <laughs> yeah, Tevis Jenkins, right? Yeah, Jenkins. <laughs> well, I, 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 there's something in my bones. Again, I, this is I'm not a scout like uh, like Jordan and Dan, and I are not those guys. If you want a scouting show, then tune in to Jordan's uh, debut of Bare Necessities. To tune in to Gabriel Talks Football. Tune in to when Jordan and and, and Stopchinski uh, come back with Draft on Tap. Those guys do that. 
I'm talking about my passion for these guys, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, the little, little limited knowledge that I've acquired about football over seeing it, you know, since the 1960s. So I just, I just have a feeling that this kid could be something special and listen to what Travis Gibson said about Dominique Robinson. Uh, I loaded so many fucking things here and I didn't, Put them in any order so here is gibson for a minute and a half uh dan so it's a little long one but this is G- gibson being asked about dominique robinson i love this reply dominique robinson he's a great player great student of the game uh comes in to work never late always has his playbook in his hand is eager to learn um man he sort of reminds me of me Honestly, you know, fifth-round pick, coming in, chip on the shoulder, showing up to practice every day, dominating, and still looking to get better, even when, even where he can. What's the thought about his skill set? Um, he's really athletic, man. Dude is lean, um, can move, very uh, versatile. You know, he can rush the passer with speed and rush the passer with power also. So I think that makes him a great player in his own aspect. You say he rides you. Uh, yourself, where is he compared to maybe where you were when you were just first coming in as a rookie? Um, I would say he's better than me, honestly. Coming in, um, I think he has a lot more pass rush attributes than I did coming in. I think he has more experience on the edge than I did. Um, I think we take the same approach for the learning game, but overall he's a great student, great great athlete, and I think he's going to help us a lot. Uh, all this said, then, do you look at him as, as somebody you're competing with? playing time oh yeah you know I think that's the nature of the game um you know being realistically everybody's in here is competing with each other too so even with trying to get the questions out so (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the um I think that's the nature of just having a job and um you know we've had those conversations it's real life conversations but you don't shy away from it as men and you know you embrace that that competition just got a nice compliment from Cliff Victoria that uh, we deal in content here as opposed to other shows that deal in rumors. Uh, so thank you for that, Cliff. And um, but I did I do have a couple of rumors I want to share. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I love what uh, Travis shared there about his teammate Dominic Robinson. I love that fact that he entered he he divulged or he he admitted he shared with us that there is competition between these guys and of course that's what the coaching staff has been for for years telling us coaching staffs that you know competition makes people better and so they recognize that and that's good and yet there is still this kind of family approach to it you know you're gonna beat me out no i'm gonna beat you out And, and if you listen to Last week's show, we had uh, Darnell Mooney talking about Justin Fields, how they t- kind of challenge each other to see who's going to stay late in the weight r- later in the weight room and stay later at Hallis Hall and so forth. That's the now, didn't vibe. They say that they're going to be working out in this exactly, period. Exactly. And uh, Valus Jones, who is another guy on my list coming up here, he said the same thing. I'm going to be joining those guys and stuff. So, uh, you know, this just to me, I. 
last week, I think, you know, we started off this show with like about 45 minutes of kind of pessimistic stuff. This, this, I don't think I have a pessimistic thought in my mind right now about this team. I'm just on cloud nine about the possibilities. Um, uh, 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 I'm just feeling very optimistic about what could potentially happen. And I think Dan, you've, you've instilled that in me. Um, and so I'm going to blame you if the, the fucking bears win only three games this season. <laughs> Something else real quick that I was thinking about, uh, and I didn't mean to like drift a little bit during Jordan's analysis, but I was just kind of getting together, like where I was going next with like, you know, in the scheme of things here, what, what we're going to highlight is positive, mm -hmm. but I went back to offensive line in my head and I, I confess, I mean, we're in the middle of the off season. These guys are rookies. They may not even make the team. So I don't, I don't know all their names yet. I'm just keeping it real with you, but mm -hmm. it seemed like one of the guy's names was Kramer and the other one was the exact something. There was like three other linemen that we drafted after Braxton Jones. Yes, absolutely. Do we know anything about these guys? Have they looked good? Uh, I haven't heard. I haven't heard shit. So maybe I was just hoping, like, man, maybe our draft picks can make the team and be good, you know, solid reserves. Yeah. You know, even more depth on the line. I, I think that's a very, very strong possibility. Uh, the Kit Thomas and, and the other one, Kramer, I think those guys are definitely – fighting for jobs that they could potentially win Kramer, the center from Illinois, uh, as last says, uh, uh, says in the chat, you know, I, those guys are more likely to be practice squad players, but with the potential that if they are needed during the course of the season, because of injury, Derek Thomas, uh, those guys, they should be more than adequate to, go in there and, and get the job done. Now, of course, you, you know, you're going to line them up against a premier defensive lineman, you know, that, that might not be the best matchup for them, but I feel really good about the, the, the potential of those guys. Uh, these guys are, are some good swings. Greg Gabriel still has uh, hope for Latavius Simmons. He still really likes him oh. and thinks he's going to make the team. <laughs> felt the same way when he said that yeah greg knows more football than i do man. But <laughs> that guy ooh, i thought that you know some of the, the people we mentioned before in the secondary that played poorly but that guy mm -hmm. yeah that was that not guy, yeah i, I mean he was put in no way he's making the team but he was put Greg into more than me. Well, he but he was put into a tough spot last year. Last year was his rookie year, and because of injuries, they got thrown in. And we know what the Nagy organization did. They didn't prepare anybody for anything. I don't know what the fuck those guys are doing. <laughs> so uh we'll we'll see. We'll see about that. But back to Dominique Robinson, man. I just I I, I love everything about that guy. His potential is unlimited, and perhaps that potential will be realized in his rookie year and take us from fucking mediocrity to the goddamn playoffs. <laughs> I mean, we always say that we need to build through the draft. Yep. And maybe this is kind of like that 83 draft or the, you know, the 2000 draft with Mike Brown and Brian Urlacher. Mm -hmm. where you get a couple of uh, home runs and then, you know, Erlacher and Mike Brown had us in the playoffs the second year mm -hmm. in 01. Exactly. I got two more players on my list, but before I bring them in, I want to bring in Mr. Johnny Santucci. Do you know who he is, uh, Dan? Have you ever met John Santucci? I have met Mr. Santucci <laughs> in, in real life and on the microphone. While you do uh, 
Chooch's intro, if you don't mind, I'm going to go take a piss. You go take a piss, and then I will, be right back. I will welcome my man in Johnny Santucci. John, how are you? Let me get the Danny Gallagher face out of your face. <laughs> how are you, my man? <laughs> I'm doing good, Aldo. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. I'm having a fun time tonight. You know, I'm filled with optimism. But I know you have had kind of the pessimistic feelings I've had uh, uh, in the past, but listening to any of this and, you know, working on your own thoughts, wh wh where are you at right now? Well, we can't help it, can we, Aldo? <laughs> We've exactly, been fans for too long. I started watching Bears football in 1974. So. Yep, and me about five, six years <laughs> earlier than that. So, yes, uh, it's a well-earned we, well uh, pessimism. <laughs> Barflies need to understand this. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, but, uh, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I'm kind of buoyed. I'm being pulled in two different different directions because of mm -hmm. our your, yours and my um, past uh, experience with this team. You know, just mm -hmm. the jaded uh, nature, and then uh, as well the the schedule. You and I talked before the show. It's like the schedule is kind of cream. You know, it's just there's no there's no opponent on there. That really uh, is formidable, you know, except maybe the Packers. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the Patriots, I guess. I mean, I, I, there's there's a lot of uh, uh, chances here to at least play teams that are as good as us, you know, or equal footing or worse, you mm -hmm. know. So uh, uh, there's optimism there, and then of course, it helps to have a coach, have a coaching staff that you know, compare compared to la the last coaching staff, seems to know what it's doing. Exactly. So. I, every time these guys have a presser and every time I hear the players talking about the coaching staff, I become more and more impressed. You know, when when Eberflus had his first press conference, I was like, oh, shit, here we go with the coaching cliches. Here we go with, you know, kind of the white bread approach to to coaching. But that's starting to dissipate. And his his CEO approach to being the head coach I and the it. fact that he's got great teachers as the coordinators and the position coaches, that to me is working. And all of this talk about, you know, oh, you know, all, all these problems they've been having in the uh, uh, OTAs and stuff. Fuck that, man. They're, ju they're just fucking drawing the blueprints, you know, and, and they're drawing it with an eraser. And so they're checking things out and making sure that these combinations of players work and stuff. When I, I'm, I'm going to kill to get uh, some passes to practice at Hallis Hall. I want to see with my own eyes, you know, and if I see something terrible, I'm going to let people know because I, I, I have been kicking myself for the last two years. I saw practices run by Matt Nagy that I was just not impressed with, but I, I always took that kind of fan approach. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to continue to speak. Let my eyes do the talking. So hopefully you can come down and attend one of those practices with us, brother. Yeah, and they just released the training camp schedule today. Oh, really? I think. So uh, I did Ooh. punch that up here. Bears and Yeah, it was today. Bears announced uh, 10 a.m. this morning. Bears announced uh, training camp schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be at Hallis Hall and Lake Forest from July 26th through august 21st during that span 11 practices will be open to the public yes all practice all 11 practices are scheduled to begin at 10 a.m will require a free ticket 
for entry. The sessions right. are slated for July 28th, July 29th, July 30th, and August 2nd, 3rd, 5th, 7th, 10th, 11th, 15th, and 20th. So pretty good spread out of uh, yeah. practice days. You can find those at chicagobears.com forward slash camp is where you can get your free tickets. I will be, uh, as soon as this show is over, I will be. Uh, See, it's not uh, just all rumors here. <laughs> That's right, baby. We got facts. <laughs> By the way, I got a question for Don Burr. who's was in the chat room, and he I just put up one of his comments. Wait, this is Don Burr 2.0 because I nuked the first stuff. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I got a question for Don Burr. Don, who would you rather have at quarterback, Goff or Justin Fields? Who would you rather have as your foundational quarterback, Justin Fields? If he picks golf, then he's he's drunk. It's not Don Burr 2.0. It's Don Burr alcohol level 2.0. Do you know what the joke about him was? No, I don't think so. Don, did you hear the the joke earlier? If you did, sorry. (laughs) Um, But uh, how was that piss, uh, Dan? It's a good one. He, he picked Goff. <laughs> he said Goff. He's proven. Can you he's believe proven. that, Dan? Yeah. Now, now we know there, there's not there's nothing up game as a member of the Rams, and he has gone to a Super Bowl, so we can't take that away from him. But I know his last year with the Rams, like they started some kid I'd never heard of in the playoff game to avoid playing him in the postseason, though. Yeah. Who I guess is their backup for Stafford now. Mm-hmm. So the coaching staff completely lost all faith in him. And it's not like he looked great in Detroit. It's not to say that he can't rebound. Mm-hmm. But Goff is starting to look like one of these guys that's probably going to play for like six teams before he's done. Mm-hmm. I agree. And um, He's Brad uh, Johnson. I'm sorry. And Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl. Oh, so that's right. He's Brad, he's Brad Johnson without the Super Bowl ring. Yeah, I don't even think he's that. You know, I don't think I don't think he's a smart kid. If you remember, uh, Goff was on Hard Knocks and he didn't know whether the sun rises on the east or the west. You know, that's just a stupid person, and he's got, you know, he's got good physical skills, but you know, fuck, he doesn't know which way is west and east. You know, that tells me. I mean, that's kind of a like a wonderlick test, and I know the wonderlick test is not a good. determiner of determiner (laughs) that's a word um uh is that a good way to decide whether a player is going to be good but i don't want a dumb quarterback and jared goff is a dumb guy and also more importantly he has no guts i've seen it firsthand i've seen it at soldier field when the bears pass rush and sub-zero weather was after him he fucking shit in his pants oh yeah when he was at the rams yes and yeah, he did not want to be there at he all. He did not want to be there at all. And that's not what I want in my quarterback. I want in my quarterback where if there's a fierce pass rush, he's going to stand up and still try to make that fucking throw and still follow through on that throw and still get the guys in the huddle and yell at the offensive linemen like Peyton Manning would do. Give me some fucking protection and go out there in the next play and make a play. Make a play. As Jared Goff would just fucking this. run run away. As bad as I hate to admit this, we want our quarterback to be more like Rodgers. Well, did you have to do that, Dan? <laughs> we want a guy that's going to throw the ball. He's not afraid and did we'll you? talk shit if necessary. But Fuck you! 
<laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> what, what do you think, Tucci? Are you a golf fan? Not really. I you mean, have to think about that? <laughs> he, he doesn't have that strong of an arm. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't see I, – I, I don't see Detroit winning a Super Bowl with with Jared Goff. Let's just say that he, they're going to have to upgrade. Goff is a fucking Hugo for the Detroit Lions. That's what he is. He's a fucking Hugo. What, 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 you know, I, and and Sanders is saying, guys, Goff stats are better than any Bears quarterback history. Let's stay logical here. But Sanders, that doesn't mean shit. So you're comparing shit with shit. You're comparing shit with diarrhea. You know, which is worse, of course. Are the diarrhea is worse, but that doesn't mean anything. You, you, you know, the question is Fields or Goff, and I can't believe anybody in their right mind would want to start a team with uh, Goff over Justin Fields. I just that, that's yeah. Me. In my Luke. opinion, the yeah, the two yeah. the separation between the two are. Let's break it down. Then Goff led a team to Super Bowl Fifty Three, a team that was predominantly stacked, though. So let's say he can be a guy that if your team is moderately ready, then mm-hmm. maybe could come in and help you. But as a Bear fan, we hope, we think that we've got a guy that's going to be the reason that we win at some point. Mm-hmm. The guy that could be the quote-unquote the guy. Mm-hmm. And Goff's never going to be the guy if he's around a winning team and, and maybe he can uh, – not fuck it up, but we're hoping that we win because of fields. Now, right. again, we won't know that yet, but right. that's that's the idea. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. There's, there's uh, no comparison athletically between Fields and Goff. I mean, Ju- Justin Fields is an is a is a phenomenal athlete. Mm-hmm. Jared Goff is not a phenomenal athlete. He's just a quarterback. I mean, Fields can do so many more things with his legs. Mm-hmm. You know, running and, and avoiding the rush and running for positive yardage. Jared Goff doesn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And one of the guys on my list that I think is going to help take this team from fucking mediocrity to the goddamn playoffs is the new tight end that they signed, Ryan Griffin. And do you mind doing me a favor? Can you look back at uh, Ryan Griffin's stats and uh Look at the quarterbacks that he's played with in his career. I know that he played with Deshaun Watson. Uh, he probably played last season with Zach Wilson. Anyone, any other names that you can come up? Because he makes reference to that in this soundbite when he was asked about uh, uh, Justin Fields said something that, yeah, Ryan has been great. He, he'll tell me to do this, to, to do that. And then this was Ryan Griffin's response when a reporter brought that up yeah I don't tell him anything he is the most (laughs) focused individual I've been around determined hardworking uh I don't see him smiling ever really and it's not because maybe he's not having fun out there but this guy wants to win and it just oozes through every every movement he makes out there and uh you know I'm not a quarterback's coach, so I don't you know he tells me what to do and you know I try to make his life a little bit easier uh, again, another another guy. I'm really excited to see what he can do this year. Have you played? You said you haven't been around anybody like like that. Have you played with people similar to that? Does he remind you of? Yeah, I I I don't want to play that game. Uh, you know, I, I'm not here to, to give anyone bulletin board material or anything like that. Um, I will say I played with a lot of quarterbacks in my career. Anyone can look that up. See who I played with. Justin's right there. At the, you know, right there. 
and uh, I don't think anyone knows exactly how, how good he can be, but I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what he can Guys, do you get the feeling that he took a pot shot at Deshaun Watson and that uh, Fields is more serious about winning and playing as opposed to Watson, who's more serious about getting anal fucked by his masseuse? <laughs> oh, God. No doubt. <laughs> right? No doubt. Yep. Don't like he only played with Watson one year. The New England owner, Mr. Kraft. Oh, that's right. That yeah. article with Deshaun. Yeah, let's talk about that in a little while here. I won't forget. That's good. But the Tooch, were you able to find out any of the other quarterbacks? Zach Wilson with the Jets, Deshaun Watson, who yep. else? Sam Darnold, too, I believe. Uh, <laughs> it's 20, 2020 would have been Sam Darnold with the Jets. Uh, the Texans, he only played with uh, Deshaun Watson in 2018. So mm-hmm. trying, thinking back of who the the Texans Brian quarterbacks Hoyer. were before. Brian Hoyer. Before, yeah. Yeah, Brian Hoyer uh, mm-hmm. Can't remember who else uh, would have been the Texans quarterbacks uh, before Deshaun Watson. Matt but, uh, Schaub, maybe? Yeah, Matt Schaub, maybe. Uh, yep. yep. Yeah. So here's the thing. You look at this guy's stats. This is why I put him on the list. Because w- when you look at what the successful quarterbacks have had over the last few seasons, guys that have gone to the Super Bowl have had great success. They've got tight ends that catch 80, 90 passes, Travis Kelsey types. Bears don't have that in Cole Komet. But maybe the combination of Cole Komet and Ryan Griffin can be can be um, consistent first down guys. Look at the amount of first downs that Griffin has had in his career. In his rookie season, he had 14. In his third season, he had 13. In his fourth season, he had 19. Fifth season, eight. Six season, 15, seven season, 19, and then a little bit of a drop off the following season to four and then 14 last season with uh, the rookie quarterback. I think this guy could potentially get 21st downs for this team. And there's nothing that I like better than tight ends that pick up first downs for your quarterback when it's third down and eight and you really need to get the first down. This guy has the experience of doing that and that is huge to get you from mediocrity to fucking mediocrity to the goddamn playoffs. So he's essentially the replacement for Jesse James. Yes, he is. You're right about that. You're right about that. hes I don't think he's as good as uh, Zach Miller, who was a true pass catching tight end. I don't think he's that. If Zach Miller didn't have the injury issues that he had in his career, he could have been Travis Kelsey. But unfortunately, you know, everywhere he went prior to the Bears and with the Bears, he just always had some catastrophic injury. But he could be the perfect complement to Cole Komet and the perfect complement for Justin Fields, who I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see who is going to be that number one dependable number two dependable white uh, pass catcher after Darnell Mooney. Will it be one so, of the tight ends or will it be somebody else? So G- Jimmy Graham's gone. Jimmy's gone. Yes. Thank you. And God. Jesse James is gone. Thank you. God. I thought I, James. I like Jesse. He is. But I, Horstead's a Raider, I think. Mm-hmm. Horstead is a, is a Raider. And I miss. So who do we have a tight end right now? Well, you got Ryan Griffin, and then you got yep. another veteran, James, James O'Shaughnessy. Yep. yep. From my oh, hometown, Naperville. Fullback occasionally. Oh, um, the hell's his name? Uh, the uh, U-back guy. Yeah. Um, 
help us out here in the chat. I don't have my I should always have my fucking roster open when I do this show. Yeah, me too. Um because I hate I try it. not to be pretentious though. If I can't remember a name right off, I don't want to seem like a know it all. I just tell you, like, dude, I can't fucking think of his name right now. Mm -hmm. CJ Williams is a uh, Ryson John. He yeah. is he is not the guy that uh, Dan was referring to last no, week. No, I'm talking about he's the guy. I'm talking about it's a white guy. Yeah, uh, uh, Holtz, JP Holtz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought Holtz did well whenever they decided to use him at fullback. You mm -hmm. know, exactly. Now I don't know. Is he still on the roster? I, no, I don't think he is. Uh, they have a nope. true a fullback on the roster, and the uh, guy from uh, Tennessee, Kyrie a Blazing Blazing Game. Thank you, GD, for that. Or CJ Williams and the GD. Um, so I, I, which I like, I like the fact that they've got a true fullback because in these interviews that I've heard, in fact, it was uh, Griffin himself. Uh, listen to this. He was asked, can you describe this offense? Seems like uh, we're going to be physical. We're going to run. We're going to be conditioned, well conditioned. And we're just going to, we're going to pound we're, and we're going to run sideline to sideline. And hopefully we can get some balls over the top. In the meantime, we got to score. I mean, it's we, you got to you got to put points on the board to win this league, and we got the guys in the room to do it. We just got to get the execution right, and that's what this part of the year is all about. This is why we're here. So we're working. He went on to say that this is going to be a cold weather team. It's going to be prepared for cold weather games. So fucking bring on the snowfall in November, man, because I'd love for us to really live up to that moniker of playing well in bare weather. That shit hasn't happened since 85, to be honest with you. That's what I'm about to say, 85. <laughs> we had the massively cold playoff game in 87 and 88, both in Chicago, and we lost to Washington and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Run-heavy team, says C.J. Williams, and I love that. You know why? Because that's the personnel that we have. And making big plays over the top with Valus Jones, with Darnell Mooney, is definitely going to happen. With Justin Fields' arm and a team, if this team is cracking open runs of five, seven, nine, explosive runs of plus 10, plus 15, plus 20 yards on the run game, if that's happening, this offense could be fucking explosive. And I know. Let me ask, let me make a comparison to see what you think. Okay. Now, once more, this is, you'll never know because it's one of those what-if kind of questions. But you remember Dan Hampton once said that if Cutler had been around in the 80s, they'd have won three Super Bowls for sure. I kind of agree with that. Well, uh, having said that, if you go a little bit farther to the team that Ditka had a good run with but never got over the hump, the Neil Anderson-Brad Muster kind mm -hmm. of team. You know yeah, what I'm talking about? Sure, sure. Late 80s, early 90s. But so Wilbur's gone, and Otis Wilson's gone. You've got an above-average defense now. Mm -hmm. Not great, but certainly not bad. And you've got two not great running backs, but certainly solid. Mm -hmm. But maybe Harbaugh and Tomzak weren't good enough to put you over the top there in that regard. Maybe. I'm, I'm not saying Harbaugh had some success with the Colts, but maybe. If Justin Fields or that type of quarterback was, say, on the 90 Bears, Mm-hmm. Could the 90 Bears have won the Super Bowl? Oh, fuck. And if so, this team could be built the same way as, say, the 90 Bears. Mm -hmm. You're David Montgomery as Neil Anderson, except from all indications, he's a hard worker, and Neil liked to brag that he didn't work out in the offseason. 
at all. I know. And that's I, why he was always popping hamstrings, in my opinion. <laughs> exactly. No fucking shit. Yes. And you, you got a fullback, maybe that could be mustard, mm -hmm. potentially. So, and your defense could be above average, but not necessarily great. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, maybe this could mirror the 90, 91 Bears when you go 11 and 5, 10 and 6. Of course, there's an extra game now, but I'm just saying if could the, those teams have won with fields, and if so, maybe this team mirrors that, and maybe that's an indication this team could win too, or am I just connecting dots that aren't there? Uh, I, I think it's a – I think it's a very intriguing hypothesis. You know, I think that, yeah, we could talk an hour about that. You know, I, I'm not going to say for sure yes, but it definitely is something worth considering. One of the things that we need to do, we, we need to come up with a couple of topic ideas for, like, you know, the next show because we're running out of sound bites to play and stuff like that. So I'd love to do – you know, with your knowledge, Dan, of these teams from the 80s, 90s, uh, and the early aughts, we should target some of these seasons and talk about what ifs and, and reflect back on teams that almost made it and stuff. I think that would be a fascinating show, man. I, I would agree. And just thinking about fields in, in that era, probably the only quarterback in the NFL in, say, 90 – that seemed like him at all, and I don't mean in skin color, but just mm -hmm. in absolute athleticism, was Randall Cunningham. Mm -hmm. oh. And Philly didn't win with Randall. Yeah, but Buddy didn't win with anybody except for the Bears. So, right. but uh, what I'm saying is, you would put a quarterback in that offense in theory that the rest of the league kind of at that time didn't have. And. If you have his skill set, I, I just can't imagine. Or if you had like a Cunningham there with the Bears, man, I can't imagine us not winning. So mm -hmm. if you can build this team structured around the style, because you got to give Ditka credit, man. They fucking ran the ball, and they ran the ball well. Yep. Whether that's Muster. Muster ran uh, successfully as a fullback, and, and, and Neil when he wasn't fucking hurt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had – didn't have the best wide receivers, didn't have the best quarterback play, but it was good enough to win a bunch of games. So yep. if you can structure and, – and they were a running cold-weather team. So if you could get that kind of team built here and you have a quarterback that elevates everything you've had previously just on pure athleticism, mm -hmm. then maybe when we're talking about things that help us get to the playoffs – that number one, maybe over Nagy, is Justin Fields. Hmm. Boy, the possibilities. Holy fucking this guy's shit. guy's a fucking limit. I know they keep saying that he's not looking good, but from Fields' own admission, he said he wasn't ready yet. Yes. He said it's a new offense. You know, we'll be okay in September, but right now we're still putting it together. And we know he's putting in the effort. Yes. We've already they've already talked about going to Florida to, or whatever state it what was it, Florida? Florida, yes. Yeah, Florida to work with him and trying to build that cohesive chemistry. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm not saying Jay never worked with Alshon or or Marshall in the offseason, but probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, but but then again, he had kids and stuff too, so I understand. But this guy's really busting his ass to try to be, you know, to make up for last season. So mm -hmm. I just, man, I, I think he's going to be good. I do. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I'm I'm with you. And, and you know, 
people who are saying that Fields has not played well in, in training camp just don't understand. They just don't understand. This is the installing of a whole new offense. This offense, and, and this offense, theoretically, you don't need a, a, a pass catcher, a premier 20, 30, $40 million a year pass catcher, because it is designed to have multiple receivers have 50, 60 catches a season. I think that there is a possibility that you, we might see Darnell Mooney catch fewer passes this season, but the offense as a whole catch more because the running backs are going to catch more because the tight ends are going to catch more. Cole Komet had what, 60 catches last year. He'll probably have 70, 75 uh, O'Shaughnessy and Ryan Griffin will, will pitch in another 40, 50 passes. You know, Dan, you've, you've been talking about your hope for Equinemia St. Brown. I think you're going to see him, you know, have more catches than the second or third string or wide receiver. We're going to have a one of those offenses that you're spreading the ball around to the open guy, and there are going to be plenty of open guys because that's how this offense is designed. It is designed to scheme players open. And so the one key thing is, of course, is the protection. Got to have that extra microsecond of protection. And, of course, Justin Fields being better at recognizing what the defense is doing than our previous quarterback, uh, Mitchell Trubisky. No, no more curls? <laughs> no more curls. Well, you know, it's like interesting. You need curls against a uh, – against a team that's playing zone. You need to have curls. But the problem with Nagy's offense is that everybody curls. ran the curl. <laughs> there were no options. There was yep. nobody going deep. There was nobody doing something on the flat. I was going to bring this up. Can we talk about this sure. comment? Because read, that for, uh, read that out for Dan. For Dan. GD says, I feel like the only thing we lack is linebackers behind Roquan and Nick Morrow. And also another a big go-get-the-ball receiver. So, I mean, this is like something I wanted to bring up during the show because uh, uh, linebacker, you know, nobody is really talking about linebacker that much because, you, you, but to me, I, I think it's an issue. You mm -hmm. have uh, Roquan in a contract year and Roquan and contracts, those, those kind of things, they, those are volatile, you know, mm -hmm. where he does, he does crazy Roquan things. I talked about this last week and Nick Morrow hasn't played since 2020 or 2020. So, I mean, mm -hmm. he didn't play last year, you know, he was not, he didn't, he didn't get out of the field last year. It's just, and then after yeah. that, who, who do you got? Can you name a guy, Joe Thomas? I, oh. I mean, there, there's not that many guys, Sam Kamara. I mean, who, who's going to step up at that uh, linebacker? You know I mean? I, I don't think the linebacker depth is as good as everyone thinks it is. I could be wrong. No, but, I, I mean, agree with uh, you uh, too. But I think that you're, you're probably going to see three linebackers out in the field 20% of the time, you know? And so uh, I think that's why it shouldn't be that huge of a concern, but you're right. Uh, Morrow not playing much uh, recently. And, um, you know, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking that Joe Thomas, um, the veteran eight years in the league, he, he could be helpful in that position uh, to back up those two linebackers. And then hopefully the kid from Wisconsin, Jack Sanborn, who I'm surprised he wasn't drafted, 
He was signed as an undrafted free agent. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on him. And Sam Kamara has had has done some uh, interesting things. Although I think he he might be he might be more of a, a defensive and pass rushing kind of guy as opposed to a four three linebacker. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think your concern is legit, uh, Tooch. That is one of the areas where we could definitely use some help and as foster covers puts it we will get linebacker offensive line and wide receiver help during these final cuts and unfortunately that's where this team is to in order to you know really get a team with a lot of depth and maybe some help at a starter position or two it's it's these late roster cuts are going to be important for the bears uh to land some help unlike the lions who just have no fucking hope at all of ever winning a fucking title uh much less a uh, division championship and some of those uh ryan pace guys are going to be gone everyone's like hi i'm daz newsome i'm not so sure he makes the roster mm-hmm. you know he, he was only on the team last year as you know for like uh, return depth and we got plenty of guys that are as returners as we i think dan dan aguire and when us we talked about all the returners Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, I think Dan, Dan, Dan was like, what are we doing with the, why are we drafting all these kick returners? So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, you've got Ebner and uh, you know, Khalil Herbert ran kicks back last year and did it very uh, well. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, there's but you know what? It's all about speed is you want to get as much speed as possible. And yeah, you only really need two returners, one for the punt team and one for the kickoff team. But, you know, these guys do have value at other positions, and there's always injuries and so forth. And, you know, if the guy is talented, I don't give a fuck. You know, bring him out to the field and let him fight. And like we were talking about just a few minutes ago about the competition being valuable. All right, uh, Dan, are you ready for my last guy on my list? It's no surprise. It's Valus Jones. It's fucking Valus Jones, the third-round draft pick who – is going to be the yak leader on this team yards after catch this guy is going to fucking create explosive plays for us and i like uh dan uh, you know when you've been talking about equinemia st brown he was he's on my list too of guys who could potentially you know raise eyebrows and say holy shit you know the packers really let this guy go but right now, my love is for Valus Jones, and I got a soundbite here of Valus talking about uh, what they have thrown at him so far in camp, camp. Uh, and it's uh, kind of an interesting response here. It's a very short soundbite, 17 seconds. Uh, I've been moving around um, quite a bit, you know, especially in the OTA period. And so uh, I had a, a good amount of balls thrown my way. And so that's just, you know, boosting my confidence level up in this offense. And, you know, as I, you know, continue to work on that. And so um, that's a good feeling. Love the fact that he's getting that work at the slot position, at the outside position. I bet you he's been lining up at that running back position like Devo Samuel. And I want to play one more soundbite from Velas. This is him talking about manifesting, which is, I, I find this whole thing fascinating because when I was a kid, I read Bill Russell's autobiography. And one of the things that stuck out to me is he said that when we were on that bus ride to that next game, I would close my eyes and just visualize the game, visualize who I'm playing against, visualize the block shots, visualize the outlet passes, visualize where I was going to be lining up down low, visualizing everything. And that's what Valus Jones has been doing. Listen to the young kid. Man, it has, I would say um, definitely has a positive impact because, you know, I like to manifest a lot. 
um, before I go to sleep, when I'm looking over plays, I like picture myself running a route or catching a touchdown. And so I'm big on manifesting. And so, you know, I can picture um, a lot of great things this season, even on certain plays and certain routes um, thrown by Justin. But um, I definitely know that, you know, I'm not going to let them down. I'm definitely going to, I'm definitely going to, you know, be, in, be that player they draft, you know, that guy that's good with yards after the catch, that guy to make plays um, out of nothing. And so I'm definitely going to bring that to the table. Dan, I got a prediction. You want to hear my prediction? I'm listening. You are going to be buying a Valus Jones jersey this season. Ooh, I hope so. I think it's going to happen. By yeah, the way, Dan, I, I Devin Esters. By the way, I did, to totally digress here for a second. I'm looking in my uh, daughter's closet. She moved out of several years ago, and I haven't looked in the closet for a long time. And what do I find there? A girl's size medium Rex Grossman Super Bowl <laughs> jersey. <laughs> I thought of you That's immediately. <laughs> I bought all these jerseys for the kids when uh, they were all living at home, and there was an Erlacher jersey for a little girl, and a, and a Rex Grossman Super Bowl jersey, and a Walter Payton jersey. I immediately thought of you. Know, I, my collection is not nearly as yours, and it doesn't it certainly wouldn't fit uh, any human being, you know, that's a male or uh, or or size medium or more. But nonetheless, uh, getting back to Valus Jones, I love this kid. I think he's going to pay immediate dividends. Think of Tariq Cohen's rookie year, Valus Jones. What do you think? I hope so. Tariq was a monster in 2017. I just felt like Nagy didn't know how to use him mm -hmm. after that. You got to give Fox credit for it. Just, I mean, they seem to get him outside, man. If he was running the ball, he wasn't running in between the guard and the center and like the fucking two hole the way Nagy had him. It's like they tried to get him, you know, down the sidelines where he could outrun everybody. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's the thing with Jones. You know, he, maybe he catches a, a screen or something like a wheel route and he's gone. Mm -hmm. I love it. I'm trying to find out what number Valus Jones is uh, wearing. Uh, let me scroll down the uh, chart here. It is good old number. Is it 14? 30? No, that's uh, Jalen Jones. 12. He's 12. He's wearing Allen Robinson's number. Yeah, that's right. Allen Robinson's number. Yeah. Eric Kramer's number. I was just going to say that, Dan, because you've got oh. what, one or two Eric Kramer jerseys. I've got the white authentic go. Kramer. Wow. So before you guys move on, I know Aldo just gave his players. I want to give one of my own. Please give as many as, uh, as you'd like. So a guy who's been getting a little bit of buzz, mm -hmm. you know, with uh, Robert Quinn and Al Kadeem Muhammad mm -hmm. uh, sitting out and, and, of course, Dominique Robinson getting attention. But a guy named Carson Taylor has been flashing mm. at defensive end. Uh, this is a, a rookie player out of northern Arizona, 6'3", mm -hmm. 241, who's been uh, uh, showing him. He's been getting reps you know, uh, with first and second team. So uh, maybe uh, we could get a Jordan Silvera 
Carson Taylor scouting report coming. There you go, here. Jordan. You got an assignment. Uh, <laughs> please help us out here. The rookie is six foot three, like you said, two hundred forty-one pounds yeah. out of Northern Arizona, and uh, this guy is so unknown that the uh, website doesn't even know. <laughs> He's wearing Danny Trevathan's number in case uh, you want to want to watch uh, some training camp this summer. Cutler's number at the end of last season, though number six. Okay, right, right. That's right. right. Change that change. Yeah. That's one of the cool things about Dan. You go to a football game with him, and he's spotting out people wearing jerseys. And, like, we were at the Lions game in, uh, uh, in Chicago last season, and he's commenting of, oh, look at that guy. He's wearing a Herman Moore jersey. and Look at that guy. He's wearing a Barry Sanders jersey and so forth. That's a that's a huge, like, a hobby for you, isn't it, Dan, that, that you love collecting jerseys and recognizing them and talking about them? Yeah, I remember when we were in Cleveland, we saw a Bob Avellini jersey. That's right. That's right. Good old like, number seven. Shit. Even Bob Avellini doesn't have a Bob Avellini jersey. <laughs> no, he's got an arrest <laughs> record, but not a, not a jersey. <laughs> I think uh, uh, the time to worry, Dan, is when you see a Don Burr jersey at the Lions game. <laughs> time, time to. I, I to would watch love your to back. buy a, it's like a, you know, a shit emoji, you know, and put Don Burr's name on the back. <laughs> That would be cool. Don, if we ever meet up together, I got a present for you. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Uh, anybody else, uh, Tooch, on your list of guys that we should maybe be looking out for on your uh, radar uh, that has caught your attention? Uh, let's see. Um, you know, some, some of the guys that I liked are already gone. But uh, I like to see this Elijah Hicks at safety. Yeah, you know, you know uh, baby, supposed to be a pretty big hitter, and a good car. I like to I like to uh, see what he can do in there. You know, maybe uh, a little glimpse at the future. You remember him, Dan? He was the guy that uh, put out that video when he was drafted by the Bears. He starts doing push-ups. He was fired up. He was ready to fucking hit anybody that came near his side. This guy is a guy that could bring the lumber. Talk about a guy that will play in the box. He might be the heir apparent to Eddie Jackson, and we might see two guys who are great in-the-box guys, but Jaquan Brisker has the has more talent playing the center field, so he would be that guy who is kind of, kind of shifting more towards the center field position. Uh, and... Uh, but yeah, this kid, this kid is special. He's somebody to definitely keep an eye on. What, what number does he wear? Couple, we're getting some good, good comments in the in the chat room too. We always Sam do Kamara. on the show. Yeah, we always do. Sam Kamara might uh, get some. Uh, he was projected at three tech coming out of college. That might be a name to watch mm-hmm. in training camp. And uh, uh, I, I know you mentioned Tavon Young, of course, who's you know the veteran uh, uh, slot corner. Uh, but uh, Thomas. Graham, who was a rookie last year, uh, has been uh, playing, getting, making some uh, some headwaves as a, a slot corner as well. That might be a good training camp battle as well. Is uh, Thomas Graham versus Tavon Young? Mm. Tavon Young, man, please stay healthy. <laughs> please stay healthy. And I love Thomas Graham, but I, yeah. if if we're gonna go from fucking mediocrity to the goddamn playoffs in twenty twenty two. Taven Young is going to have a big role in that because of his veteran leader, yep. leader uh, experience uh, and, and the fact that he's he's a proven guy. And 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 Graham could be that guy, but 
having both of those guys capable of playing the slot position, if in fact Graham is going to be a, a slot cornerback in this league, would be outstanding. Um, Dieter Iceland, Foster Covers, c- comes up with his name. He's a guy that Bears fans have kept in their radar since he yeah. was acquired by the Bears a couple of years ago. He's a guest That's here. It's a great in the bar. story. Yeah, it's great, great story. Great, great guy. Um, I'd love for him to make this squad and and fight for a starting position. Who knows? Maybe it's it's finally Dieter's turn. Um, the thing about it is that if you haven't been to training camp, you just don't really know much about Dieter nowadays because they're just we we haven't seen him on the field in a, in a football game. Has he had a NFL uh, appearance, Dan? Do you know Dieter Iceland? I think he has. I think he played a, a game or two last season when the, when the team. Was, I don't recall. Yeah, but uh, he could be a guy that could surprise us. Dieter Iceland. Remember the name? He's what? Where is he from? Do, do you remember? He's from Germany. He, he's from South Africa, and he played at Yale. Oh, that's right. Look at you! Holy yeah. shit! South African. He's got a great attitude as J2K. I thought you were going to say he's got a great ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that I, I look at regularly of these football players. <laughs> you didn't always talk about Effetti's ass, it seemed like. <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> you, know, you know, one of the things is that um, Walter Payton got me into that whole thing because he used to joke about Richard Dent's ass being so high up that <laughs> Walter would say that Richard uh, in order to reach for his wallet, would reach behind over his shoulder, <laughs> yeah, over his shoulder. I remember then, that story. Yeah, and uh, and then Walter himself had a glorious ass. And then I learned, you know, that running backs who had that those big, strong gluteus maximus muscles, as uh, Walter developed right down the street from where I live on the Peyton Hill. That that's that's important for players. So yeah, I love looking at guys' asses, and the, the bigger the better. <laughs> the, when you said the bigger the better, I'm not sure if that actually was good for Craig Hayward when he was a Bear in '93. <laughs> yeah, well, he was past his prime there, right? <laughs> but you know, as big as he was with the Bears in '93, and he was as big as he had ever been. Yeah, like he ended up having like two. I'm fairly certain he had like two more thousand yard years after the Bears with the Falcons. Well, it figures, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, when he was with the Bears, though, he was like 340. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Three fucking 40. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, he wore number was 45 that, that year. Yeah. Holy was he that God. big, though? I mean, I, I can imagine being 300, but. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah, I remember old Ironhead uh, Hayward being big, but 340? Holy shit, at the running back. He was, he was as big. Like, he lo- I'm telling you, between he's o- he was only a bear one year. Mm-hmm. By the time he was gone to Atlanta, he had lost like 100 pounds. That is wild. You know, these guys. Um, one of the things about these guys, uh, this crop of Chicago Bears, is when you hear the interviews, they are invested into being in shape. You know, one of the recurring questions they were asked by reporters is, what are you going to do during the uh, this time off before training camp? And all of them were talking about staying in shape, watching my weight, you know, uh, just doing the right things, staying out of trouble and stuff. And but the but the conditioning part is something that this the culture of this team has changed primarily first and foremost with conditioning every player is talking about it what we saw with the Matt Nagy teams sorry Matt but it's true 
this team was not those your teams were not in shape after the 2018 season they were not in fucking shape and that's true and this these teams for Eberflus appear appears to me like they will be even like i said dan hampton and them always were on they were always pointing out that mac wasn't in shape now right. to me you don't look at khalil mac and say oh that dude's fat i don't think they were saying that mm-hmm. they said that he wasn't in football shape. Mm-hmm. They yep. were saying that that's one of the reasons that his effectiveness had declined was because he wasn't in football shape, which, again, differs from just, you know, being able to look good at the airport. It's good point there, uh, Dan. And and if you talk to Raiders fans, that was a common uh, common criticism of him, too, you know, is that he disappears. And maybe why he's disappearing in these Raiders games is because – of conditioning that he couldn't, you know, maintain you know, a guy like that. You want him out in the field for every fucking play. Well, okay. And um, if, if that's, what's being uh, called of you, you better fucking have great cardio. And it's funny that when he, he did a couple of press conferences during the pandemic where he was on the bike as he's talking and he's sweating and the words are coming out like, oh, <laughs> and it's funny because I almost felt like, come on, Khalil, you know, first of all, work out during your own fucking time. This is this is an obligation you have for the team to meet with the media. Don't fucking make it look like you're always on the bike. Take 10 minutes off. Get off the fucking bike. Answer these questions. Give us something to to talk about. Be a little respectful of the media. And uh, that's not what Khalil did now. I didn't say that publicly at the time because I know if I would have, if I would have put put that on Twitter, I would have been eviscerated by Bears like fans. I was all the time. <laughs> yes, you were, <laughs> and I was part of it too. <laughs> oh man! All right, guys, um, we got about a half hour here before my man Dan has to go save some lives, and then uh, after the half hour mark, uh, Tuch and I will stick around a little. We're going to talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs. Get see if uh, he can give me a, a winner. Uh, and uh, whatever else might come to mind. But I wanted uh, you guys primarily to talk about what you may have seen or not seen. I've got some stuff for you on this segment this week. Okay. Can can you guys sing a song or something? Because I got to take a piss real quick. Yeah, I I got some news for Dan that I think he might enjoy hearing. Well, go ahead with that, and then I'll tell you about the movies I've seen when Aldo returns. Okay. Give me uh, 60 seconds. So I think, Dan, you'll be happy because I think that uh, there's a couple guys that you don't like who won't be on this team this season. And one of them is Kendall Vildor. I think he's yeah, going to I mean, again, it's not personal, but like right. I mean, he's been incredibly ineffective. Right. He, he's not really suited for the outside. He, he wasn't that good at, at slot corner. And we've got Tavon Young and, and Thomas Graham now who, who are quite capable of, of manning that position. And the other slot corner is Duke Shelley. I, th- I think yeah, Shelley, Poles, I have no faith yeah, in. Yeah, Poles is going to get rid of these Ryan Pace guys. You know, uh, he's already started. You know, some of these guys have been uh, are gone that Pace uh, uh, brought in. He's making the roster his own. And I think, uh, you know, Vild- Vildor and Duke Shelley, I don't think they'll they'll make the team. You might see one of them cut and brought back to the practice squad. I would my guess would be Vildor. I don't think Duke Shelley's going to make it. He hasn't shown anything. One guy that he let he let leave or as a free agent that from the previous regime that I wish were still here is Alex Bars. 
yeah. because of the depth issue on the offensive line, Bars was a guy right. that could step in and play center, guard, or tackle. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, Lachavia Simmons would be another guy I think that would be gone. That's a, a, a pace guy. I think Greg Gabriel has uh, talked about him a little bit, uh, a small school guy. Uh, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but I think they're, they like Sam Mustafer at right guard. You know, I, uh, I, I'm hoping they pick up somebody off the street, but uh, J2K Larson says bars was a good backup, but a little too stiff. Uh, you know, I, I, I still would prefer him over Sam Mustafer. though. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Sam gets thrown back in the offensive line quite frequently. Yeah. You know, he gets pushed backwards is what I'm trying to say at the at the yep. time of the snap. Yeah. Galdo, I, I think Galdo's shitting on us. He says he was going to piss, but th- this is getting into <laughs> defecation time here. Uh, and then uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, you know we, we talked about Braxton Jones. This dude's 6'5", 310. But, I mean, he, he doesn't look that big. You know, that's my worry. I, th- I think uh, uh, I- I'm not so sure he wins that left tackle job. I could be wrong, but I mean, I, I think uh, a year of NFL weight program and this guy's, you know, uh, uh, probably a backup this year and maybe a, more more likely a starter next year. I could be wrong. Some though, people think, said uh, at the time he was drafted that his feet were too slow. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact he had only given up three sacks in college, they said that his feet just, he didn't have the quickness to play at the pro game, but if you listen to what people are writing right now, it appears that he's going to be in the running for starting left tackle. So, yeah, yeah, we'll have to see uh, once the pads come on how uh, how he does. But uh, uh, people seem to like Sam Mustafer a little bit more than me. Uh, Mustafer's a good depth piece to have. Mustafer's athleticism can make him a good fit in the scheme that would go along with what Olin Krutz has been saying. Uh, he loves Sam Mustafer, although I think all those back, everyone's speculating that. One, you had to drop a deuce or you were jerking off <laughs> in the bathroom. Well, um, all three. Yeah, I I will admit that I, I jerked <laughs> off, and that's about how long it takes me nowadays. <laughs> Four to five seconds. It takes longer to clean up than it does the actual <laughs> masturbating part. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> all right, so what well, were you guys talking about? We were talking about oh, we were talking, how uh, he was talking uh, about bears that could be off the team this year, right? As polls uh, gets jettisons and yeah. Shelley. Yeah, I don't think Vildor is going anywhere. Maybe Shelley. Uh, I, I still think there's a lot of promise in Vildor. And one of my biggest concerns about Kindle Vildor, we drop him, and then all of a sudden we're going to see him, you know, play elsewhere like a Corey Graham and have and be on a Super Bowl team, uh, contributing to a team. Let's not give up on Kindle. Uh, Duke Shelley, I can see, although he did play well in, in those last few games, but I don't think that's that's going to be a, 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 you know, that was a promise for a great career. Do you think, although let me ask you then, uh, do you think Ryan Poles, you know, may have a predisposition towards making the roster his own uh, image and getting rid of some of these pace guys or no? I really don't. I, I really, I, I, I do believe that Ryan Post is fully committed towards rebuilding the roster. But if there are leftover players from the Ryan Pace era that fit into what he and Eberflus want to do, I don't think he's got the ego to say, yeah, I don't want that guy that, you know, Ryan Pace would get. No, he's, he's not going to do that. Ryan Post is not going to do that. He knows 
that the faster he wins, the the bigger embrace that he's going to get from Chicago Bears fans, the better it's going to be for the organization. This team needs investors for their Arlington Park uh, Stadium, so they need to win quickly, but they're going to do it their way, which means we have to have a little patience. But it's it, I don't I, I just don't see that in Ryan Poles and this organization of them having you know ego issues. Uh, Swanky said it uh, an hour and a half ago. I think this team, the leadership is is much more fair minded, and and we don't have to deal with the egotistical issues from like our head coach Matt Nagy. Like Dan likes to say, fucking guy was a narcissist. He was. Yeah, yeah, he was. Don't mind yeah. interrupting. I've got four things I really want to tell you about movies. Yeah, let's go. Awesome. And I want to get, if you all have seen them, because, again, these are old, old films, mm-hmm. but they were all new to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start. One was directed by Martin Scorsese from 1974, and she would win Academy Award for Best Actress for this performance in, uh, starring Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, yeah. You may recall her from The Exorcist. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Alice doesn't live here anymore, mm-hmm. which featured a very young Jodie Foster, like pre-taxi driver Jodie Foster. It had a very young Harvey Keitel in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not my favorite film. I didn't dislike it. I don't think it could be filmed today because it, really accentuates that like a certain weakness from or about women in general. Mm-hmm. It, it's certainly a different time. The film came out in 74, so you can't judge it through the lens of 2022. You have to look at the culture 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't, it's a little rough to watch because like all the men seem to be like emboldened, like to where they can just fucking hit women anytime they want to. And uh, that's certainly disconcerting. But even at one point, Ellen Burstyn's like, I just can't live without a man. And like Chris Christopherson's character just like smacked the shit out of her kid. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. The kid's annoying as fuck. <laughs> but if I were having sex with this lady, and that's what they were doing. They weren't officially dating, but right. they liked each other and didn't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. There's no way I could lay a hand on their her fucking child. Mm-hmm. But again, maybe I'm just being judgmental through the lens of today versus the lens of then. But uh, I don't, I thought this film was a little bit overrated. Like, I didn't think there was anything spectacular about it. It wasn't bad, mm-hmm. but I, I was surprised to see she won Best Actress for it. What, what are your, did you see it? I've seen it. Um, and it was on, it's on, you probably saw it on Turner Classic Movies because it was on just the other I night. Did. Yeah. So here's the thing with that movie it was definitely a movie about its time. During that era, there were a number of movies that were showing uh, the struggles of women. You know, the, the 1960s saw the dissatisfaction of women and they started burning their bras and they were, you know, uh, birth control started to happen. And so there was this huge transformation in the United States uh, women, you know, girl power, woman power, and so forth. And so that movie got critical acclaim because it was like one of these movies where finally we get to tell the story of a normal housewife and uh you know a hardworking middle-class woman single parent and what she's got to go through and so forth and so a lot of i think of the acclaim that movie got was because of its subject matter but not necessarily 
for its artistry because I definitely didn't, you know, it's a Scorsese movie, but I, I, I would not attribute that as one of his most artistic successes. It had its success had more to do with the subject matter uh, than anything else. Uh, so I don't know, Tutu, have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I did see the film, the most recent film by the guy who wrote Taxi Driver and was part of that brat. Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. I saw that recent film, which I'll talk about later. Okay. Uh, uh, because it is, a, it, 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 man, it, it is kind of a weird movie if you haven't seen it yet. But what's uh, the title I, of the film? It, uh, it's called it? It's called The Card Counter. Oh, that's right. You that's, sent us the uh, what you call it, right? And uh, it's got some weird stuff in it, man. It, it, it's it's masquerading as a straight like card hustler drama, but it, it's so weird. It's got this backdrop of you know, uh, eccentric characters and post-traumatic stress disorder from the Iraq war and, and Abu Ghraib in the mm -hmm. backdrop of it, which I'll, I'll talk about later. But uh, cool. uh, Paul Schrader and Martin Scorsese certainly had that relationship of writer, director, and then Paul Schrader went on to make his own movies like American Gigolo and uh, mm -hmm. I forget some of the other ones that he's some done. Some big box office successes and some mm -hmm. artistic failures like um, right. Mishima. Absolutely. Um, which is, uh, I think, I thought it was when I saw in the theaters with one other person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought it was artistic success, uh, and I was shocked that it was just panned by critics and audiences stayed away. But if you ever get a chance, guys, watch this movie called Mishima. It's about a Japanese samurai guy, and the artistry in that movie is floored me. Uh, but yeah, Schrader is an interesting character because he came from a very strict religious upbringing and then when he went off to college all of a sudden holy fuck there's a whole world here where people are doing drugs and thinking about shit that i was told not to think about and he started uh, writing scripts about stuff like that like taxi driver and stuff he's he's a very very uh, fascinating uh filmmaker writer type dan what else you got all right so i was on wikipedia while i was watching this and i clicked on ellen's uh filmography and I saw, wow, she's in a film with Nicholson. So the next one I watched was The King of Marvin Gardens from 1972, which again starred Jack Nicholson. It had Ellen Burstyn in it again. The gentleman that Nicholson kills in The Shining, Scatman Crothers, he's in it as well. <laughs> uh, and Bruce Dern. And as I would learn, he and Bruce were together in a film from the 60s where Nicholson is, is a San Francisco hippie called Psych Out. So I watched mm. both of these films. Have you seen either one of these? Um, King of Martin Gardens. And what was the other title? Psych Out. Psych Out. I have like, not like seen psychotic. Any, I have not seen any of those two. Well, the King I, of I, Martin I, Gardens is weird. I know you said you'd never watched Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Right. I liked Fear and Loathing a lot, the Johnny Depp film, but the one before that with Bill Murray played Hunter S. Thompson called right. Where the Buffalo Roam had no plot and just rambled just aimlessly. That's kind of the way the King of Marvin Gardens was. It was it was so strange, too. Nicholson plays the straight-laced, almost boring, humdrum guy with no idiosyncrasies, and Bruce Dern's the guy that's just over-the-top fucking crazy, his brother. And Ellen Burstyn said that initially Jack was the other character. And when they got on set, somewhere along the lines, just as a goof, they swapped it and just started playing the other characters and the director went with it. Hmm. So then Nicholson played the straight lace and, and Dern was, again, the uh, the 
eccentric fellow. Mm-hmm. And uh, without, I mean, I don't know if you want me to give you spoilers or not, but it just it didn't have much of a plot, but it had a, a shocking end, I guess. Uh, but again, uh, do you want spoilers or no? No, uh, is it on TCM? No, I, I rented it on iTunes because I couldn't find it anywhere. I paid like four bucks to watch it. Okay, well, let me let me see if I can watch it this week because I'd love to talk to you about it because it's a it's a film that's been King of Marvin, Marvin Gardens has been on my list for years and years. The Parkway Theater here in Chicago used to have a, it used to be a repertory theater, and so they would show old movies all the time. And every time King of Marvin Marvin Gardens, I'm gonna go check it out. Gonna, and something would happen. I never got a chance to go see it. Um, and so if it's out there somewhere, I'm definitely gonna watch it. We can butt heads on whether we liked it or not. Okay. I didn't dislike it. Mm-hmm. It just was. I don't know. I don't want to call it boring. I mean, I liked it, but it, I, I expected more. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so then we move on to Psych Out. Mm-hmm. Psych Out goes back to '68. It's a counterculture. It's it's produced by Dick Clark, but I I realize why because they had to license all this music. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicholson plays in a, a he's supposedly an aspiring musician, mm-hmm. and he uh, he meets this young lady who's a teenage runaway mm-hmm. that's deaf, and that becomes a big part of the. She can read lips really well and understand what you're saying. But uh, as the film moves on, of course, they, they fall in love. Uh, it's got, uh, like I said, Bruce Stearns in it again and, and Nicholson. And, and he's, like I said, he's playing music. In the, but it's a lot about drugs and stuff, too. And like at one point of the film, they've given this poor girl who can't hear mm-hmm. and she's never done any drugs. She's come to San Francisco to find her brother, whom was played by Bruce Stern. Uh, and the one guy wants to fuck her and she's kind of Nicholson's girlfriend but as you can see from culture in that era and i read this in robbie krieger's book too uh, of the doors the guitar player mm-hmm. robbie's wife to this day he got with her in the late 60s but at one point she had fucked jim morrison prior to them getting together mm-hmm. so jim like over and over just thought well i can fuck her anytime i want because i've already fucked her <laughs> and as robbie put out in his book he said you know i can't compete with morrison i mean come on that's jim morrison and part of our culture then was if you object to like someone having sex like that, you're the one who's like, you're the one who's uptight and lame. Mm-hmm. Our culture is supposed to be cool and you're supposed to just be chill. And he's like, it would have been worse on me to show objection to them than them doing it at that time within that context. Mm-hmm. But thankfully he was like, I'm glad she didn't. We got married. The rest is history. But uh, so that's kind of like that in the film, but in the film, This guy that wants to fuck her gives her this huge dose of whatever the drug is. And she's never been high. And she ends up on the Golden Gate Bridge, unable to hear and is seeing shit. And the cars are coming at her. So it's quite the ending in that regard. But like I said, I don't want to uh, spoil it for you. But Nicholson with hair down the middle of his back is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I had to watch this one on YouTube. It wasn't available anywhere else. Uh, I could buy the Blu-ray if I wanted. It was available on Amazon Mm -hmm. uh, for like $22 or something, but Mm -hmm. I couldn't find it streaming anywhere, but it was on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Again, it's called Psych Out. Mm -hmm. The last one that I watched, another Nicholson one that I had seen a couple... uh, I, I realized when I started watching it, some of the scenes felt vaguely familiar from when I was a kid, just on HBO or something, but I never watched it all together. And I bet you you've seen this one. It's a remake. Uh, the film's called The Postman Always Rings Twice. Oh, yeah. And it's got a very young Jessica Lange in it. Mm-hmm. 
with Nicholson. Uh, yes. I mean, extremely young, extremely hot, and like her voice is. I guess where she smokes, her voice is so different then than it is now. But I mean, that's forty years ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess you've seen this, right? Yes, I have seen that. I didn't like it really as much as the original, which was late nineteen forties. It was a seminal Hollywood picture, a film noir. Uh, uh, again, you know, looking at it from kind of a sociological standpoint, this was a movie where the uh, female character wants uh, to kill her husband and then run off with the postman. And uh, but the issue is, is that, you know, she's 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 not an honest woman. And so this was one of those movies that uh, first one of the early films that was artistically good and portrayed a woman to be a, a villain. And so that sparked a lot of Hollywood movies with that same theme where the woman was called the film uh, femme fatale. And so the original I, I, I thought was fantastic. I'm trying to remember who played the role in the original, but nonetheless, uh, it's, it's uh, the, the, the uh, remake. I don't remember it too well. I just remember I was kind of bored by it. A couple of things that stood out to me because I'm a guy. Angelica Houston showed her breast, which I did not expect to see. Well, that's a, tr- a treat. And she was really young, too. So I was like, oh, my God. Well, Sex- let me hit pause. Sexy. <laughs> yeah, Sexy she, she was with Nicholson later in the, uh, the, the film that Sean Penn directed. Uh, God, 95. What's it called? The. Uh, oh, uh, 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 fuck. I know I've seen this movie and I like it. Um, and Angelica Houston's his ex-wife in it. Yes. Uh, what the fuck? And yeah, I'll get to that in a second. If I have to look it up, I'll look it up. But right. uh, like I said, Jessica Lange is very young in it. And Angelica Houston shows her breasts. And mm-hmm. that was kind of cool. Uh, but the ending was, I don't know if the original film, because I haven't seen the original, mm-hmm. if it ended like that. But they have like a, I mean, I know there's, Ralph Nader's not around in 1940 for them to have seatbelts yet. So, <laughs> and I know the car doesn't have a seatbelt, but mm-hmm. the very average car crash, I'm supposed to buy, it kills Jessica Lang at the end of it. Mm-hmm. It looked like all three of us got together with no money and a video camera and just crashed a car into something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, she's dead. She's dead now. And it just I didn't buy the ending at all. It, it was very ineffective the way they uh, they killed her with that car crash. It wasn't violent at all. But mm-hmm. the movie I was trying to reference is called The Crossing Guard. Where Nicholson is married to or was married to Angelica, Angelica Houston and they lost a child. Oh, I thought it was uh, Pritzi's honor. Uh, but no, you're right. No, no, no. Maybe they were in that, too. But yeah, the they were they were both in that one. Yeah. Didn't they have like a relationship, uh, yes. Nicholson and, and Angelica Houston, if I remember? Yes. yes, you're right. They dated for for a decade or so. Yeah, yeah. They had a strong well, relationship. In the Crossing Guard, his daughter dies, and mm-hmm. he's tormented by it, and it, it leads to their marriage. Uh, you know, a disillusionment in the marriage, and and suddenly they get divorced, and then the guy whom killed his daughter, who has this immense regret because he was a DUI driver or whatever gets released from prison. Mm-hmm. So Nicholson has got it in his head that he's going to kill him. And at the end of it, I, th- I think he did shoot him a few times, but the guy lived. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, they, they, they together end up at the daughter, the fallen daughter's grave. And 
they both end up like praying. And I guess you could say that the movie is supposed to say that Nicholson was able to lose his hatred for the other guy because he saw genuine tears and how much remorse that he had. And they sort of had this bonding moment where the guy was basically like, you shot me a few times, but fuck it. I deserved it. I killed your daughter. And, mm -hmm. But you, you sort of have this cathartic moment to where they're, they sort of, I don't know, have this understanding that everything's going to be okay moving forward. Mm -hmm. And then it goes off. So uh, it's open-ended, but that's the way I interpret it. But th that was a good film too, but I had seen that one before. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, so I'd worked all those hours last week and like close to 80 hours. And so I, I got the uh, privilege to watch some of these old movies I had never seen uh, mm -hmm. at night whenever things died down at work, thankfully. So, yeah, there have been a lot of rumors about Jack Nicholson's health and that these are his uh, as one actor or what some person anonymous. He said that he's living out his last sad last days uh, that he is yeah. suffering from dementia. And so. Uh, there, he hasn't talked to the media at all in, the, I think, a year and a half or two years. And uh, his spokespeople are saying that he's fine, but it certainly doesn't feel that way. So hopefully, I bet he still watched that Laker Dynasty show that we were talking about. Yeah, maybe that drove him crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, he watched that shit winning time. I bet you he watched fucking A. <laughs> he was probably pissed off about it too, just like everybody else who was in that show. Yeah, he, he knew everybody personally too. <laughs> and so, was at all those games. Yeah, yeah. Zach Sullivan has a cool question Who's the hottest non hot? actress that gets you going francis mcdormand is like that for him uh he doesn't know exactly why uh, i have a hard time calling any woman non-hot though i mean i just like women yeah i, I mean i mean are... i'm the same way but i think i understand what zach is saying this is not the traditional Maybe a woman that's not noted for her sexuality yeah yeah exactly exactly i think francis mcdormand is a perfect example she's the girl next door that you want to fuck you know <laughs> let's let's tell it like it is <laughs> dude you got any actress like that that uh, comes to mind does Helen Mirren count or? Oh, fucking A. I think so. Yeah. Okay. She's really hot, but she's, she's not. She's the grandmother like, the next yeah. door to you in the gulf. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> the double G. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. She's got a beautiful figure. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely would uh, put her on that list. Um, Dan, you know, you tend to take a swing at it without a I always think of the same woman whenever someone asks me this. It's that Annabella Ciara, who I, lo I just love so much. She's That's a good a, one, Dan. She's a fucking from Jungle Fever, and you know, yeah. uh, she was in the Sopranos. And yeah, no, I don't think she falls cradle. in this she category. Great by Harvey Weinstein. I don't, I, Dan, I don't think she falls in this category. Anyone that would say, yeah, you're, she isn't hot, is, needs to see, to get their eye lenses uh, examined. She is hot, hot, hot. There's no doubt about it. I, man, that's a great fucking question. Uh, yeah, I, love, I got one for you. Uh, well, no, I took a lot of shit from people when I said that she was hot. I thought, I, I know you agree with me, mm -hmm. and this lady's since passed on, but. A lot like my ex-wife used to be like, God, you like, how could you like her? She acted like I, you know, was just like, like picking someone out of like, you know, the, the, she just shot up and she's got piss on her and she's my woman. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, Amy Winehouse. Oh, she's fucking I know, She wasn't thought of as like the most beautiful woman, but I thought Amy was just unbelievable. She could play the piano tremendously, could sing tremendously. And I thought she 
in spite of her drug use, mm -hmm. just was incredibly beautiful. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally with you on that. Um, well, gentlemen, unfortunately, I have to be abrupt and I got to go. I got to get to my other job, though. Like I said, there's a lot of still some kind of heat going on there. So I want to be on time. Yeah. Well, good luck All with right, that. Danny. Um, ho hopefully everything goes well and I'll, you and I will be in touch. Okay. Yes, sir. Be well. Thank All you. Right. Later, Danny. Bye, John. Uh, we've got a couple of people talking Ooh. about uh, Rebel Wilson. <laughs> Sex <laughs> says Rhea Perlman. I don't know. For, uh, for, <laughs> I don't know, Rebel. Was that, is that for Wilson Phillips? Yeah, she's the daughter. Okay. Uh, she she was, uh, if if I'm thinking about the same person, she was very, very heavy. And now she's gone through, you know, I don't know if she's went through a tremendous diet or, or had that surgery, but she's super, super. In fact, when she was heavy, I thought she was gorgeous. You know, she just had a few extra pounds on her. And I don't, mm -hmm. I, I definitely don't mind a Zoftig woman. Um, Hell no. I prefer that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the older I, I get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that line in Pulp Fiction uh, where the Bruce Willis scene with, I don't remember the actress uh, that he played, played his girlfriend and they're in the hotel room and he's cuddling up with her and he's talking about, you know, how, how nice she feels. And then she says, Sometimes, you know, she was complaining about her weight and she said something to the effect that sometimes what is bad to the eye is good to the touch. And I thought that was a, a brilliant way of Couldn't of, have said it better. Right. You know, because sometimes, you know, a woman that that has a little weight, just like guys, you know, you get a little uh, dimple here and a dimple there, a cellulite here, cellulite there. And, uh, you know, some guys don't like looking at that, but man, oh man, let me put my hands on that. I love it, baby. <laughs> it feels good to me. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of that chick that Nomad's talking about? She was like a big blonde, busty blonde that oh, married yeah. a really old guy, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know her name. Exactly I can't remember. She uh, sued totally after forgot. he died. She sued uh, for the to, inheritance or collect yeah, the inheritance yeah. against the children of the old dude in the wheelchair, right? Yeah, that, exactly. Right? Oh, what the hell is her name? She was Anna Nicole Smith. He's got Anna it. Nicole Pepe. Smith. Hey, thank you. Happy Silvia. Yeah. Yeah. She uh, was sort of the Marilyn Monroe uh, of that era, uh, but without the acting chops, she was just a, a personality like. Were, that. were you a, a Marilyn fan? Yeah, I, I was growing up. You know. As a kid, I had a thing for big busted women, and so watching uh, Marilyn Monroe and in, in movies Mansfield. like "Some It Hot" or whatever, you know, I, I yeah, I'm the gonna have and... to grab. Uh, we did a we did a Life Marilyn issue just recently. It just came out. I've got some copies at work. I'll bring you. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, she's yeah, I, you know, I, underrated actress too, in my opinion. I I thought that she mastered that, you know, uh, dumb blonde thing, and she wasn't dumb. You know, she was unfortunately led astray by men and uh, taken advantage of. But uh, she was a very smart actress, and, and, and yeah, Nomad, you're absolutely right. Anna Nicole Smith had a body on her. Oof. That's what we, we used to call that brick shit house. Built like a brick <laughs> shit house. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I saw I saw two movies that I think only you would like, although this this past weekend. Okay. Uh one was the card counter, which is the Paul Schrader movie. I don't want to give too much away because 
it's it, it's uh it, there's a lot of references to the card shark movies like cincinnati kid i don't know if you remember that one with steve sure. mcqueen and uh, McQueen. Yep. uh edward g robinson but uh uh there's a lot of references to that and uh underlying all of this is the paul schrader dark uh mm-hmm. side of man mm-hmm. you know dark, dark side of humanity and willem dafoe is in it too Ooh. and uh uh Ty Sheridan, who is the uh, a kid from Ready Player One, okay, uh, he's in it, and uh, uh, I forget the actress's name who plays kind of like the love interest, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, Oscar Isaac is the star. Oh, and he is—he's excellent. He's a—he's uh, a guy that is adept at at counting cards. Mm-hmm. It just uh, the you know he's one of those people that looks at you know he knows you know what's coming. He's got his system. He's you know. Blackjack, poker, these are all those things. And uh, he gets recruited by this woman uh, mm-hmm. to uh, uh, be a card player, you know, like tour, World Series of Poker Tour. I think they said. I'm sorry. I was trying to play the trailer underneath. Okay. The, I couldn't turn the audio uh, off, but please continue with your description. I'll find the trailer. Right. He, he gets hired on to, uh, uh, you know, play uh, in, in these, you know, World Series of Poker Tours going from city to city. And mm-hmm. investors back him with his stake and his, you know, his stake money and everything like that. And as he wins, you know, he's earning money, you know, for the investors and he gets his cut. So, you know, okay. he gets his, his portion of the pay. He has no job other than playing cards. Mm-hmm. And uh, he meets this kid who comes up to him and says, hey, you might have known my dad. And this guy, Willem Dafoe and uh, uh, Oscar Isaac's a very weird character. He, whenever he travels, he wraps everything in those white sheets he doesn't touch anything. It's like, you know, Howard Hughes. Or whatever, so he's you know? a germaphobe. A germaphobe. And uh, you, you learn, I don't want to, I can't, I can't tell you anymore because of the last, <laughs> the last fucking scene in the movie, uh, the last few scenes, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, the third act, you know, the final act, and then the, uh, the after, the denouement afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's really Tiffany an excellent. Hadish Tiffany Haddish. She's excellent. She's super oh, hot too. I love her. And uh, uh, she plays the love interest. She's the one that recruits him to play. There's a Ty Sheridan. And, uh, you know, you get this, uh, you know, you get the drama of him playing in these, in these poker tournaments and stuff. He's kind of a little rain manny, you know, might, might be on the spectrum a little bit. Uh, Oscar Isaac, Willem Dafoe is the guy who trained him to torture people in Abu Ghraib. You know, and uh, I don't want to give any, anything away, but I suggest you watch it. Cause it, I, I am it's definitely- a Paul Schrader film. Yes, I am definitely going to watch this. This looks like right up my alley. Produced by Martin Scorsese. Yep. Oh, I love it, man. I I wish I would have uh, watched it when you sent me the link uh, to it uh, because I would have loved to have talked to you about this. But we'll definitely do it next week. Yep. He this has this awesome. odd kind of like father son relationship with Ty Sheridan in the movie too. There's that in the backdrop. He's a very unorthodox. He never he never was a parent. He spent most of his life in prison too. After mm-hmm. uh, he went to jail. For Abu Ghraib, you know, for mm-hmm. crimes committed in Ab- at, at the, gotcha. the prison during the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there's that, and then uh, I saw another movie that I think only you might appreciate. I don't, I don't think Dan Aguirre would like a movie. It's called The Outfit, and it stars. Oh, Mark I love Rylance. this movie. Did you I, see I it? it? Oh yes, yeah. love it. It was a great movie. It takes place all in all in the tailor shop. Yes, one one, one scene, you know, one set. The whole time, and the acting is freaking glorious. Mark mm-hmm. Rylance, so good. Yes, and uh, uh, the other the kid, guy, I think, is the guy who played the tailor. 
Um, yeah, Mark Rylance. Mike Rylance. He was more known for his uh, theater work, but yep. he has had very successful movies. In fact, I think he was nominated for a movie he was in with Tom Hanks and directed by Steven Spielberg. I forgot the title of the movie, but it was a, a Russian Cold War where the Mark Rylance character played a spy for the Russians. And uh, he's being tracked down by uh, Tom Hanks. That's a movie I highly okay. recommend. I'll try Spy, to Spy Hunter, that. is that what it's called? Or it's not Bridge? It's, Spy it's something yeah. Bridge. Yes, yes, it is something Bridge. Bridge of um, Spies or Yeah, I'll find I find I'll find that uh, in a second here. But Mark, that's Mark Rylance is considered uh one of England's greatest theater actors. Right. Right. Stage stage actors, but man, yes. he's pretty fucking good on screen too. Yes, this and one he's so good in man. It's a, that, it, I, I haven't seen a performance that good in quite a while. If mm -hmm. the outfit, yep. yeah, the story's killer, man. It's got plenty of twists. It reminded me of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross a little bit. Uh huh. Yep. Uh, that kind of feel. And the uh, uh, Zoe Deutsch is the yep. actress in it who plays a an employee at this tailor yep. shop and is heavily involved in the plot. Um, and she's Don't fantastic. Give it away though. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I won't. I won't give anything away. I won't give anything. Nobody away. is. Nobody is who they are. That's all I gotta yeah. say. Every single exactly. character. Yeah. Yep. Great. Great twist. And you know, and sometimes movies that are all shot in one location yep. as this is because it's all in the Taylor Chicago shop, uh, too. set. Yes. Uh, sometimes movies like that. Uh, don't have that cinematic feel, that movie feel, because it's all in one location. It yeah. feels more theatrical. But this movie uh, transcends that. It really is the way it's shot, really has a cinematic feel. You won't be bored by it. Yeah. I don't think you will be. And uh, it's, a, it's a clever story, well told, well acted, highly recommended. My, my wife said, uh, I should be bored in this movie, but I'm not. You know, like, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it <laughs> said, that's why I, said, I told her you, you know you said it baby because uh it was that good man it was yeah. just i mean it's it if you love story and you love acting and you love dialogue i mean it's mm. and you love twists and mystery i mean it's mm -hmm. great i haven't seen a movie with they don't make movies like this much anymore yeah i i totally agree with that i and um you even you even take a, an appreciation for the job of a tailor. This guy makes shoots, yeah. uh, suits, and uh, you know he talks about the fabrics and you know stitching it together and yeah. stuff. You, movies like that. That one of the things that I've always loved about Martin Scorsese movies is that they do a, a great job sometimes of explaining how things work. Like I love those scenes in Casino. When they're yeah, explaining yeah. how you know the money is made in, at the casino and how it's counted in the back and stuff, it, it's exposition. It's it's stuff that a lot of filmmakers will will just bypass. And what oh, you'll love uh, you'll love the card counter too, because a lot of that is like talking about how he counts cards. This is plus one. This is zero. This is minus one. I love and then that. Talking stuff. about the pit bosses and all that stuff inside mm -hmm. the casino. Which guy does what? Which dealer? You know, and all this stuff, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh this sounds like a good one. Uh Nomad is watching the Bill Duke directed film called mm. Hoodlum with Lawrence Fishburne. I've heard of that and not seen it. Um, I love Bill Duke. I didn't know yeah. he was a director too. Is that talking about the actor that was in Predator as well? The one I'm gonna get me some. Gonna get me some. Is that Bill Duke, right? The same guy? Yes, it, it certainly is. It That's was, right. Uh, Jesse yeah. Ventura's uh uh buddy in in yes. the first predator. Right, it definitely is. Um, 
And I like uh, Zach's comment here about Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Uh, another excellent, excellent filmmaker. He makes those kinds of movies that mass audiences aren't going to rush to the theater to watch. It's not, you know, a shark movie yeah. or a alien movie or a Marvel movie. But Paul Thomas Anderson has a fabulous sensibility. Somebody mentioned earlier Hard Eight, uh, the movie yeah. with the recently passed away uh, actor whose name now I'm forgetting. Um, but uh, P.T. Anderson name? has that. He's got three names. Philip yeah. Ba Philip Baker Hall. There you go. Is that his name? Okay. That's it. That's it. Great, great actor. His performance in Magnolia is simply sensational. He plays a talk show a game show host, uh, TV game show host, and uh, is battling some demons, uh, alcoholism. He's been a poor dad and so forth. In Heart 8, he plays a guy who is counseling a uh, a gambler. Um, and uh, he's, he's done a lot of great movies. P.T. Anderson, there was another movie that he did with, um, oh, what's that fucker's name that played the Joker? Uh, Phoenix. Jo Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. He did uh how's the name of that movie? Somebody in the chat will help me. But um it's fabulously directed. PT Anderson is a filmmaker who, if you like something a little bit uh out of the norm, uh watch for his films. And yeah. uh we're we're told that Bill Duke was also in commando. Ravi remembers mm -hmm. that Bill Duke was in commando. Yes, he was. He's a bad motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Master, uh, the master. Thank you, Ravi. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Is that that's uh the master, right? Philip Seymour yeah, Hoffman. He's, yeah. he's in the master. He plays I, sort of like a, a a cult leader. Taken too too soon. No, but that's not the guy who died. It was no, no, uh, I, I know, but he's also uh, dead. Oh, yes, that's Philip right. Seymour I forgot. Hoffman. He died, yeah. died uh, three, four see, years ago. Uh, uh, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, one of his his one of his great roles was in Cold Mountain. Did you ever mm -hmm. see Cold Mountain with uh, yes. Jude Law? He yes. plays like that, that fornicating preacher. Who's like, yes. yes. <laughs> he was uh, like chased off for diddling all the girls. <laughs> He's like he ends up on the chain gang with Jude Law, uh, you know, in uh, during the during the uh, Civil War. <laughs> mm hmm. Yes, yes. And, uh, uh, they, yeah. they go to jo Giovanni Rabisi's house where he tries to diddle the girls there again. <laughs> Wasn't that a Ron Howard directed movie? Uh, and I think it was Anthony Mingala who did okay. the talent, talented Mr. Ripley. Oh. The great Cold Mountain's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Know, it's got everything, you know, the Nicole Kidman and uh, the great love story between uh, Jude Law and Nicole Kidman. But yeah, yeah. also. Uh, great move. I did see another movie, although which I think the bar bar flies would enjoy. It's called Cop Shop. It's directed Cop by Shop. Joe Carnahan, and it's okay. basically it's basically a Quentin Tarantino movie without oh, really? Tarantino. And oh. it's uh, it stars Gerard Butler. Uh, God, what is that girl's name? Uh, there's Alexis, a great Alexis, Alexis Louder. Alexis Louder, and she's freaking awesome. She is so good in this movie, and uh, uh, Frank Grillo. And a bunch mm -hmm. of other actors, like B-movie actors you see. But uh, mm -hmm. Frank Grillo's a guy who's being chased by hitmen. Ends up in the jail where Alexis Louder is uh, one of the police officers in us. Uh, a, a, a small uh, town in Nevada. And mm -hmm. like all these you know, people converge on the thing to try and kill. Uh, but it, it's great, man. The dialogue is killer. And like 
you know, some great gunfights and stuff. And it's it's uh, it's like fast food. This yeah. movie, but it's it, it was it's enjoyable if you just want to turn your brain off for a little bit and watch some good dialogue and gunfights and you know it's basically one of those crime noir or uh you know crime movies yeah yeah <laughs> noir kind of feel to it uh yeah. neo-noir i think they're calling yeah. it nowadays uh yeah this looks up my alley too i love these kinds it's got of some stuff. great lines and funny moments in it and stuff with you know mm -hmm. some hard, hard ass guys and gals you know mm -hmm. hard asses and uh it's good man yeah, I can tell already by the trailer and the way the, the film is shot that I'd be interested in this. And Butler is a good actor. Yep. It looks guy. like he slimmed down, too. He, like, puffed up a little bit, kind of like Russell Crowe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he slimmed down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> that is wild. Good good uh, selections there, Dooch. Yeah, there was some stuff, you know, I guess must have had stuff. This guy was hilarious, the guy who comes in with the balloons. I don't know his, I don't know the actor's name, man. He's hilarious. <laughs> good stuff uh look at that all right so we need to talk you and i have been watching the man who fell to earth it's on showtime yep. it's uh episode i think seven i eight. think it's a nine it was, yeah, eight, this was episode so, yeah. eight yep okay so two more episodes to the season so we're nearing the finale and if uh at the very beginning we saw the main character, episode one. We saw the ma main character in a large auditorium giving kind of a TED-type speech, yeah. uh, talking about how he rose to prominence and to fame, worldwide fame and fortune. And, and then it gets into this. Uh, he recollects the story that we've been following now for eight episodes. Uh, and this past week's episode, they just seem to get better and better and yeah. better every week. Yeah, definitely created a lot of tension. And it's weird because Faraday was hardly in this episode except when he was unconscious, you know, when mm -hmm. you think about it, because he gets shot and he's, uh, you know, he's basically, all, he almost dies. You know, and of mm -hmm. course, uh, uh, Justin Falls brings him to and, the... And be uh, careful because Cliff Victoria is watching it, but he hasn't okay. seen episode eight yet, so he doesn't <laughs> want to <laughs> be <laughs> But yeah, uh, it creates a lot of tension. I, I you know, I... I got to ask you a question though, because it's something I haven't been able to figure out: is whether or not Hatch uh, is lying, mm -hmm. right? You know about selling the patents because there's he says he's he's not. Everyone says he did, you know. Mm -hmm. Then he kind of says, uh, um, "I had no other choice." Right, and I think in this episode, I didn't have any choice because it was from outer space or whatever. Right, the right uh, Newton's tenth uh, patent. Right? right, is that? So he, he wanted, he, 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 I guess he comes clean because he says, you know, I, I didn't have any other choice. I I needed to find out what it, what, what was in it, you know, what was in mm -hmm. the pattern because he couldn't read it himself. But, mm -hmm. uh, I, but, but I think one of the most frustrating things about the show is that I, I really want Hatch and Edie to make up. Yeah, me too. You know, and I'm just like, it's so, it's so, uh, it's so frustrating for me because of the, the brother, sister, sibling relationships because i know how hard that would be if i you know if i i couldn't make up with one of my siblings you know mm -hmm. just no matter what you know i uh, uh yeah but, but yeah the, the the whole thing's uh coming to the the climax for the last two uh right. episodes with are the anthians coming to earth and you know clay spencer you know uh that's another question why did uh why did mary lou call him jay was he yeah that was, was he at good... that farm as a kid i don't think so no. i didn't understand that to be honest with you and then she asked him what was your name he said yvonne mm -hmm. 
That was I, very. Uh, I have to go back and watch it well, again. Probably uh, it'll probably be revealed in the next uh, two episodes what that was all about. But uh, you and I, before we went live, we we're talking about Jimmy Simpson, who yeah. plays Spencer Clay, the villain, the CIA agent, who is now uh, uh, pursuing this. What's it called? The uh, quantum fusion um, machine. And, and yeah, what do they call it too? The do you have the? Uh, they put it in the fridge. No, they hid mm-hmm. it inside the fridge in this episode. What did he call yes. it? Do you, did you grab grab the? I don't know what they. I forgot what they called the device. You know. They yeah, they, they gave it a nickname. Uh, but what we were talking that. about was that uh, uh, Jimmy Simpson is just fantastic as the villain, and he is definitely uh, a. To me, one of the best uh, villains I've seen in a TV series for some time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's just one of those guys. I think just there's something about his face that I naturally dislike about him. <laughs> he doesn't look like a trustworthy guy. Nope. You may remember him from uh, people may remember him from uh, Lost. I think was probably the most uh, famous or well-known thing that he's worked on. Westworld, I think, was be Westworld. Yeah, Westworld. Yeah. Uh, uh, Black he, Mirror. Have you seen Black him and Black, Black Mirror, Mirror? Right. Uh, oh. He uh, he kind of his face is very punchable. It's kind of like in the Christian Slater family <laughs> of faces. If, if yeah. I could, like, I, uh, right? Is that is that? That's a good. That's a good way of putting it. Out, putting it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Ravi. Westworld is coming out soon. Did uh, you yeah. see last season, Tooch? I did. I thought three was the worst of the seasons. Oh, I couldn't I, get through it, man. Yeah. And I like that guy. What's his name? Aaron Paul. Mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. the guy who, uh, and I like him too. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know. It was, I don't know. It was very hard to follow. I mean, I love the first two seasons. I thought it was like some of the best TV ever written. And mm-hmm. then season three was just kind of like, yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't care much about it. You know, they're in the future and stuff. And it was, while it was interesting and stuff, I really missed the kind of the Anthony Hopkins and Jeffrey Wright stuff, you know, mm-hmm. about the Bill Park yeah. and all that. And uh, yeah, Westworld season one was probably one of the best uh, seasons, you know. As I, I I agree TV. with you. Jordan didn't like it. Um, uh, it's not for everyone. Uh, I, I, no. And uh, boy, uh, he uh, Jordan didn't like uh, True Detective either. So that's surprising. I see. I I liked all three True Detectives, but True Detective season one was, you know, heads above the other two. But the other two were still pretty freaking good. Yeah, you know? indeed, indeed. Yeah. And um, I, I guess they're having a season four. That's right. I forgot who's in the cast, but I think it's a real strong female leads that are that are, are have been it, cast. It won't be that Nick Palazzolo though writing the show or. That is correct. Uh, he is not involved in this season, so it's, it'd be interesting. I'm sure he's going to have some hand in it, you know, as executive producer okay. and, and add some creative influence in it. But yeah, it's 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 the show. Uh, what's it called? The show producer, the show uh, runner is going to be different, and the episodes are not going to be written by Nick. Yeah, because I mean, he's a really good writer and stuff. I know, kind of. Uh, kind of a it's an acquired taste kind of i think you know maybe with the mm-hmm. nick palazzolo but uh yeah, yeah I, i'd like to see it uh uh come back uh you know uh season four uh, if it if it if it is as good as the other two i'll definitely watch it the other three i mean but. well you've given me a, a few movies to uh to look for cop shop being one of them i'm really interested in, in checking that out 
Yeah, I mean, um, it's like it's like an hour, less than an hour and a half, you know. Just you know, it's, mm -hmm. it, it really does. It only really takes place inside the cop shop too. Kind of, you know, that's it. it takes mm -hmm. place in the police station, the whole movie almost. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's a little bit like the outfit, uh, that it's got yep. one ma major location. Yep, basically. There's a couple. I mean, there, there's a little bit outside around Nevada with the uh, some of the policemen, mm -hmm. but uh, for the most part, it takes place in uh, right inside the police station. But really good, man. Cool. I mean, well, before we get out of here, Tooch, yeah. help me with the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, the first two games were yeah. won by the Colorado Avalanche, and there were kind of no contests. And then it goes uh, to Tampa Bay, and the Lightning just turned the tables. They looked like the clearly more dominant team. I had yeah. I had picked them to win the series before they started, and I was shocked that they lost the two games on the road. But uh, they came back strong in game three. Game four, I believe, is tomorrow night. What are your thoughts on this series? You know, I mean, I I, I didn't bet the game game three, and I should have. But I, I, I kind of was like, yeah, my game three. And, I, I mean, it would have been for me lightning or nothing in that game because mm -hmm. uh, I mm -hmm. didn't think there's no way Tampa Bay is going to lose three games in a row. Right. You know? And then, of course, I think Colorado scored like the first two goals. I think it was mm -hmm. two nothing Colorado. And I'm like, oh boy, good thing I stayed away. And then, then like, Tampa Bay scored like six in a row. Yeah, but exactly. uh, but uh, it was uh, I made a mistake. I could have made some money on that one. I, you know, if I would have just stuck to my guns. But uh, I played uh, Kale McCarr over two and a half shots on goal. That was like free money. Mm -hmm. You know, that was just free money. <laughs> so man, that was it. I was happy to not bet on the game and just bet that one prop. Yeah, because he was he was averaging four or five shots a game. Mm -hmm. You know, throughout the playoffs, I couldn't believe it was like, you know, uh, shots on goal two and a half for this game. I don't know what they mm -hmm. thought, you know, maybe Tampa Bay would play a, a little harder defense at home or something. But, yeah, it was, it was free money. The same yeah. with uh, I, I played uh, you uh, DraftKings had a uh, Rory McIlroy to finish top 20 with like a boost. It was almost even money. I'm like, I, but you could only bet, you know, maximum bet of 50 bucks. But, mm. you know, that's a free 50 bucks for me. Oh, shit. Yeah. So. Uh, I think I had uh, uh, I had Matthew Fitzpatrick to finish top ten. He mm -hmm. actually ended up winning, so uh, I wish I had bet on him to be outright winner. But I, you know, I'm kind of play it safe when I'm betting golf with top tens and top twenties. I think you can make it's a little easier to just get my to get my money. You know? Yeah, I I, I agree. I've I've made some money on on top tens on uh, major tournaments uh, because you know it, it, pick a guy who is a good golfer and you're going to win some money if you pick them to be in the top 10 or top 20. I mean, the, the odds are in your favor. Jordan asks, yeah. uh, Tucha, would you say you were positive or negative in all of your life bets? Where are you? Are you if, it's money baseball, if it's baseball, it's negative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, college basketball, definitely up. Uh, and then uh, college football, I do pretty good at. Uh, mm -hmm. I did great on hockey this year, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, baseball. I just man, I I was baseball, doing it's, it's it's become almost impossible to bet Dude, on, man. You, it, know? you might as well flip a coin. Yeah, you know, it, it's this this whole approach towards bringing in relief pitchers in the fifth inning has ruined it for gamblers. Yep. You know, back in the day when pitchers went into the seventh or eighth inning or complete games, you know, <laughs> it was much easier to bet. Uh, because you were basically betting on the pitching, 
But yeah. nowadays, you know, you got to really super study uh, uh, bullpens and bullpens. Can, you know, there's so many variables in a bullpen, you know, who you bring in and stuff. It's very, very difficult. I agree with you, man. If anything, I'll lay a, a prop bet on. If I see that the wind is blowing out in Wrigley Field, I will lay a prop bet on home runs. <laughs> that's overs, about yeah, all I yeah. do in baseball. <laughs> I, I made some money in the uh, Padres-Cubs overs, that series I made some money on. That was, mm-hmm. you know, wind blowing out. Uh, one game, I think the Padres scored 18 runs or something like that. Yeah, yeah, right. But, uh, <laughs> Those are the bats, man. I, I didn't do well tonight. Um, I had uh, I, I only only bet. I did play baseball. I've been playing prop bets. I think that's an easier way to win or mm-hmm. totals. I'm not going to play a lot of sides. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I had a uh, the Cubs pitcher over four, four and a half strikeouts, and he had five. Mm. But that was easy. That was an easy one. Um, I had Cal Gibson over one and a half walks. He didn't have any walks. So I lost that one. Mm. But uh, he was averaging four, five walks on the road. Until he was wow. on the road at the Rangers. He didn't. He had an awesome game. Um, so uh, lost that one. And then uh, Ravi I wants had, to know if you've ever had to run away from a bookie. Class. It's like you know, I, I don't. I go through DraftKings. I play DraftKings or FanDuel. That's it. You know, Dra- DraftKings is like uh, they give you so many great boosts. They really you know, do. Uh, it, oh, last man. last week, if you deposited five bucks, you got three one hundred percent profit boosts. Ooh, That's like, that? uh, man, you just bet one game and you know put the hundred percent profit boost on it. Mm-hmm. I, I think I did uh, um, one of those uh, overs uh, recently. Was it yes? Yesterday I had a pretty good day, mm-hmm. and then today with baseball, lost lost most of it. Lost most of the profits from yesterday. So but, uh, <laughs> it's the world of gambling. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I tell you, it's baseball. It's just so tough. You know, I mean, yeah, like it really is. Uh, the the Yankees. You know, you got you have the Nestor Cortez, one of their better pitchers, going tonight against the Rays bullpen, Tampa Bay Rays bullpen. With Tampa Bay Rays put two of their best players on the disabled list. So I took the Yankees on the money mm-hmm. line. It's a pretty good price, and they lost. You know, again, the Rays just happened to be a thorn in the side for the Yankees. The Yankees yeah. have a great team. So yeah, maybe uh, the Rays are going to start picking things up because I understand that they uh, have yeah. been um, a little disappointing this season. Stephen Mead's got some uh, betting advice. Yeah. It's bet on Manchester City to re- three-peat the Premier League uh, World Cup in Qatar. Uh, Cater. What do you call yeah. it? Qatar? Qatar. Qatar yep. in November will be interesting too. And then he goes on to say the U.S. and the group with England, Wales, and Iran, they should all lose. They should lose all three. The U.S. Uh, team. I, 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 yeah, I won't argue with you there, Stephen. There, uh, there's a good website for people. It's called Football Tips Super mm-hmm. Football Super. Let me see. I think it's called FootballTips.com. Mm-hmm. It's James Murphy is the guy who does it. He's a pretty good uh, handicapper, uh, but. Uh, he has a bet of the day that uh, I don't know. I tailed him for I don't know past ten. He's won like ten in a row, so I've made hmm. some small bets with him playing Norwegian soccer the past couple days. Cool. <laughs> but uh, let me let me give out the. Uh, Do you like to bet? While you're looking that up, uh, think about this as well. Do you like to bet NFL? Is that your is that your preferred or is college basketball your preferred? To, if I'm going to make money, it's college basketball. Yeah, that seems to be an easy because thing uh, to you can handicap it a lot easier. Um, and then uh, I have to say NFL is the most fun, but I think next year I'm going to I'm going to do a lot more prop bets. I seem to have some success 
with mm-hmm. the prop betting. Um, the, the website's called freesupertips.com. And, okay. Uh, they, he has props for everything. He'll give you like, he calls a correct score double tip, which is like picking the correct score of two games. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't play this because it's so hard to hit on it. But if you were to put like a dollar or five or 10 bucks on it, you could win like, you know, a hundred to a thousand bucks because it's super hard to pick the correct score for two games. Yeah, so, that's not easy. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> right. And, you know, I mean, like, like playing chemo. <laughs> Anthony and I will talk about round, round robins when we, if we do our show up at Bar Room. Mm-hmm. Round robins is a good way to do some bets. You know, mm-hmm. if you have like, uh, instead of doing a parlay, you know, with like five legs, you can do round robin every combination, you know, which would be picks by twos, by threes, by fours, and then the, the whole five parlay. Okay. And then you can, you know, if you lose one leg, you can still make money with the other combos, you know, and you can put like 10 cents or 50 cents and still make some money. Never heard you know, of this. Yeah. Round robins, it's called. Usually they all have it. Uh, and, you know, Anthony and I would give an explanation on it, too, if we if you wanted, you know, that would be fun. Yeah, um, for sure. Because uh, you, you could go, you can pick, uh, say you have a four leg parlay, go and you can go round robin by two, you know, which is two two of the picks. Mm-hmm. So it's a one, one and one, and then it'll go through every combo of just a two, two leg parlay, every mm-hmm. combo of a three leg parlay, and then of course the four leg parlay itself, you know. And then you you can put uh, every combination, type in like a dollar, and it might be I don't know, I think what is that sixteen different combos for I think for a four leg parlay, something like that. So it'd be sixteen bucks or twelve bucks or eleven bucks, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then you know if you hit. You know, you have some big odds. Like people do that for home runs for a player to hit a home run. Mm-hmm. You know, because those are usually really nice odds. They're always like anywhere from plus two fifty to plus eight hundred for a guy to hit a home run. You know, and I'll check like MLB.com. If you go to MLB.com, you can see like uh they'll list the pitcher for each teams in that game. And then every, every batter's record against that pitcher, mm-hmm. you know, that's the one tool that you can use to handicap baseball. But like I said, baseball, I mean, you can, you can have a perfect cap on it. Like the other day I had uh, the Orioles in one game, they left nine men on base. Otherwise they would have creamed the other, the other team. They just couldn't, couldn't get, uh, get any, any, any yeah. runs in. Yeah. I think they had second and third and less than two outs a couple mm-hmm. times. Couldn't get the win. They lost by one. So, Stephen uh, Me says he lost three grand betting on the Colts to beat the Jaguars in the last game of the season. Uh, that that was a good bet, uh, Stephen. But three grand putting it? <laughs> no, don't don't do that to yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a I'm a don't bet more than you can stand losing. You know, yeah, kind of right. Guy. You know, um, I'll uh, if I the the best the best way to win consistently is just bet on a single thing. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, parlays are great. You love them. You're like, oh, my God, I'm five, five bucks. I'm going to win 500, you know, right. but they hardly ever wins, you know, and then that adds up, you know, because someone's always going to – or one leg is probably almost always going to lose. I can't tell you Indeed. how many times it was the last game of the night, you know. I'm, all I have to do is hit this one, you know, mm-hmm. and then uh, you're like you didn't cash out and then, and then you can't sleep that night. Why didn't I cash out at 196, you know? <laughs> like, damn it, then I end up winning nothing. But, uh, yeah, uh, I can't wait for college basketball because then I'm back to making making good money. 
Making good cash. Yep. All righty. Uh, John, let people know where they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking a break from giving out free picks because, I, I mean, it's like baseball. It's like, I, I you know, I don't want to give out bad picks. So right now I'm taking a break, and I figure when uh, once NFL starts or college football starts, uh, I'll be back at it. Um, I know that uh, the uh, uh, NHL is over in a few games. You know, I, I could see the NHL, the series going seven. You I'm know, with you. Uh, Vinny Parisi uh, said the other night uh, or last week on Bardon Hockey uh, that he'd love to see the game, uh, the series go seven games and the seventh game go into overtime. Well, the first game went into overtime, and so I wouldn't uh, be surprised if uh, it bookends with a, a game seven overtime game. That would be fantastic. Yeah, for Colorado is so tough at home. You know, that's the thing. They, they, I don't think they lost a game during the playoffs at home. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it, it I, I, I kind of figured if it doesn't matter, Colorado may win these first two games. I think Tampa Bay will still be in the series, even if Colorado wins the first two, but I just mm-hmm. didn't pull the trigger. I love that Kale McCarr over two and a half shots on goal. That to me, that was free money, mm-hmm. you know, like, like uh, uh, that one during the Super Bowl, Evan McPherson over one and a half field goals. That was free money. Yeah. You know, right. <laughs> they make a mistake like that. So yeah. Ac- yeah. Akas. Yeah, but Stephen Stephen Mee's right here. That if you go to freesupertips.com, you can get he has a ton of ACAs, you know, so for accumulators. Yeah, and you can yeah, you, know, you can you can delete one or not. Most of them are like both teams to score, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, overs and unders, you know. And then uh at the bet of the day, he he'll break it down. He has a little article about why he thinks his team wins. Sometimes he picks like road teams, and I don't I don't like because it's soccer. Road teams to me, I don't think I don't like betting on road teams in soccer. I prefer mm-hmm. if he gives me a home team game, I'm gonna probably bet it. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you know home teams, I just that if he writes it up good and this team's that and two players are out or some guy's suspended or something up, you know, I don't think you know it's a good bet. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, thanks uh, again. Tell people about your uh, uh, your Twitter account and where they can yep. follow you. Yep, at John Santucci VIP, but uh, you know I'm not giving out picks right now. I'm just kind of commenting on Bears stuff as I say. Retweeting Bears stuff. I'll retweet the Net Barum Network. Uh, retweet people who are, uh, uh, you know, I forget was it Alyssa Barbieri? Maybe I might have retweeted recently. Mm-hmm. You know, she had a nice little thread about Bears stuff, uh, or you know, retweet uh, just any kind of Bear news. I'll retweet right now that's what i'm doing but sounds good amigo thank you very much i do have to say though aldo i went for father's day and uh my my son took me to what i I told him uh des moines best burger you know there was a there was an article right up for des moines best burger Mm -hmm. and uh, i had never heard of this like what it's called lachelle's uh l-a-c-h-e-l-e-s mm-hmm Shell's finer foods, but it's it's really just a, a hole in the wall with a counter and some tables, very small. Mm-hmm. But they they had an awesome. It, it is the best burger. They smash it down on the griddle on the flat top, mm-hmm. and it gets like crispy around the edge, frayed. It's thin, and then they'll put like two of them on your burger, and then they dress it up with some salt, their own sauce. It was a like sesame seed bun, freaking <laughs> a house made like a pillow. So nice, you know? nice all the fixings and it's like you know it's like the the patty sticks out and it's got all these crispy edges outside the bun it was delicious yeah sounds delicious <laughs> making me hungry i'll tell you that 
All right, we got a full day of programming tomorrow. It starts at 2 p.m. Bar Down Hockey. Oh, I just got a message from the Science Fiction guys. They need to take a day off tomorrow. So it'll be Bar Down at 2 p.m. and uh, the uh, Mac and Reed show at 7 p.m. I will tell them, guys, go as long as you want because uh, Science Fiction will not be on. But uh, check out the Mac and Reed show. Those, those guys know their football. Yeah. And uh, uh, Ross is uh, a great follow on Twitter, too. He really, really is. Uh, he's a great guy. And and uh, Evan doesn't do much on Twitter, but uh, he, he, he definitely knows how to host a show. So uh, check that show out at 7 o'clock. I'll be directing in the background so uh, we can interact there and yes I, I posted that just a second ago lower odds for home teams but like any bet yep. you gotta do your homework uh steven knows how to bet even though he lost three thousand dollars betting on the coats to beat the jack it happens yeah i've never lost that much but uh, yeah i don't want to ever lose that much <laughs> all right everybody we will uh, see you right. back here tomorrow at the barroom network and uh tooch uh thank you very much for everything you do and dan aguirre wherever you are we love you take care everybody good night Thank you for listening to Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. Make sure you subscribe to the Barroom Network and you give us a rating on iTunes. Until next week, my name is Nomsen. Bear down.